Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast for myself, Stephen Pigeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take game and movie pairings and discuss to see if they work against each other in different ways. CJ is a filmmaker and producer, and I work in production in game development. Today we have a special guest joining the podcast. It's CJ's mum, Danny. Uh, a massive sci-fi nerd, we thought this could be a fun opportunity to include her for the episode. Yay! Hello! Yeah. Hello. hello, mother dear. Welcome, welcome. Thank um, you, my son. Yeah. <laughs> Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we occupy and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Now, today's episode is a little... A bit different in structure, in structure, because normally we do a pairing of a game and a movie. But today we are just focusing on a new game that's been that's just come out, Starfield, Bethesda's latest game. Uh, it's been twenty five years in the making. We'll find it's out. Outrageous to just say out loud, twenty five years. Well, we'll dive into what that actually means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, today's all about Starfield, and let's get into it. Tell us, tell us, Pigeon, what what is Starfield? What is the field of stars? Uh, it's 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 what it says on the tin. What it says on the tin is literally a starfield. The the brief little uh, blurb thing is set three hundred years in the future. The player will assume the role of a customizable character who is a member of Constellation, an organization of space explorers. I think we can both agree, having played the game now, that is like barely scratching the surface yeah, yeah, of what this yeah. game it's actually like, is. Like I feel like what Starfield is. So Starfield is developed by Bethesda Studios, who made. Fallout and Skyrim and Oblivion and all these massive uh, role-playing games in the past where you basically make your character, you make your character whatever you want. You could be a different, like, all kinds of, like, races and classes and, and like, roles that, that you play. And then you basically have this giant open world for you to just play around and do anything, anything in. You have, you'll meet all kinds of different characters, do all kinds of different quest lines. Um, you'll have all, all kinds of different... Um, influence on the world because the world will change uh, throughout the game as you play. Mm. Um, so there'll be different groups and factions that you can get involved with. Um, and and so we've had like the fantasy, like medieval stuff with Skyrim and Oblivion. We've had the post-apocalyptic, retro-futuristic Fallout. Now we have NASA punk. Uh, oh, I like that. 300 years in the future space exploration. Uh, NASA massive, punk. massive role playing game. I, yeah, I, I don't think I've heard that term before. Is that like an official marketing thing? That, that was that was a term that like artists at Bethesda used to to work out like what kind of like art style they wanted to go with for the game. So mm. that they they used that term internally for uh, NASA Punk to go with that classic like old school NASA style, but in their futuristic cobbled mm. together way where like everyone has like had their own version of it. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's, 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 really it's that cool. it's I don't know I don't know if I would have picked that as a term, but like yeah, the buttons and dials type future. Yeah, that, instead that, of touchscreens and ephemeral Star Trekky stuff, it's yeah. like it's you know you get in and it looks like a helicopter's cockpit. It's the same vibe. Yeah, so the term came future. specifically from like development diary videos. That, That's cool. That Bethesda had. Yeah, is that a, is that a term you've ever heard before, Mum? And you're in your various sci-fi explorations. Say it again. NASA punk. I love it. It's good. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but I want it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I want to be a NASA punk. <laughs> yeah. I just love the idea. You've heard of, like, solar punk or, like, steampunk. Yeah, yeah, that steampunk. Sort of and, 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 like, yeah, cyberpunk yeah. and cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, yeah. yeah. So, I'm just going to add that to the list. NASA yeah, punk. NASA punk. Like yeah. So, everyone who wants to grow up to be, like, that classic yeah. astronaut work for, for NASA. Yeah. 
but then whatever whatever the hell they want to do with it themselves. Yeah, I always wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. Same. That's probably because of you. Yeah. Yeah. I was always into it. I feel like it's like classic like child, like yeah. it's like firefighter or astronaut yeah. or like doctor or something like that. But like most like, of those are garbage. You know, people are like, oh, I want to be a doctor. Why? Forget that noise. <laughs> you know, I want to be a fireman. Again, sounds awful. Oh, you're, you're, oh no, nothing, nothing great about like doing your service and helping save lives. Yeah, that's lame. I want to go to space. <laughs> Purely selfish, narcissistic. Fuck, I want to explore. Fuck that. I want to play the video game. That's right. Yeah. Well, in reality, right? Growing up, you realize, oh, we're not going to be astronauts because we live in Australia. Who does, doesn't have a space program? Don't get me started on that because there's room in WA and we could do it. Anyway, we never had a space Even though program. Australia has had a lot to do with. We yeah, do. We have, we a, do lot have a lot to do with it. Yeah. yeah. But we don't have a space program directly. And the only Aussies who have been in space did so by going to America and being part of NASA. Yep. See, I want to be... An astronaut in the future. Yeah, yeah. Like I, that's why I like the idea of this game because I want to be. I don't want to be one of the astronauts stuck in a tiny tin can. Yeah. I want to be one of the astronauts in a great groovy ship that's got yeah. all the luxuries. You, you don't want to spend two years going to Mars. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, like maybe set up a, a little outpost. Spend another two years coming back, and yeah. congratulations, that's your career. That's your whole career. Yeah, you've you've no. now received more solar radiation than is normal, and you can never go to space <laughs> again. Which is like, that's a real fear that, like, I find okay, it's interesting in the game. Okay, so very quick, uh, as with every episode, full spoiler warning for the game. Oh, yeah, we're spoiling everything. Now, having said that, uh, the game is so big that both CJ and I will not have uh, explored all of it. That's true. Um, off the bat, I haven't finished the main storyline because I, I've spent like 50 or 60 hours in the game. <laughs> I've done a lot of the main story. The rookie numbers, you've got to bump those numbers up. <laughs> but then I've done so many other things. So we'll spoil the main story. We'll spoil the main story. And then I might spoil a couple of, of like specific quest lines yeah. that we've done. Uh, but there's still going to be so much more. Like you could play this game for 100 to hour, 200 hours and there's still new stuff to do. Yeah, so. it's, wor- it's worth reiterating. Like it's enormous. And there's there's a lot of random encounters. There's a lot of... Uh, procedurally generated things that happen. So you you might play for 100 hours and never see something that I talk about in this podcast. Yeah, That's not because you missed it. It just didn't pop up for your specific Also, playthrough. yeah, depending on how you set up your character, there's just stuff that you just won't see. And yeah. then you can do a, d- a different character and there's act like different content again. Well, we'll get into that. I think uh, <clears throat> I'm going to clarify spoiler-wise up front. Uh, I'm going to spoil what happens when you finish the main story. And I'm I'm making a point of this because... It's not in and of itself the type of spoiler that I think ruins a big surprise. However, it is a very interesting game mechanic that I've never seen before. I, th- I have a feeling I know what it is. Yeah. But so if you if I'm you are concerned. trying to save your your experience so that you don't want any of it ruined, you should not listen to this podcast until after you have finished your first playthrough. Having said that, we're going to absolutely ruin it for you. Okay. Well, should we? I mean, especially Danny, for your context as well. Should we talk about like the premise and the opening of the story? Yeah, and, let's like, do and, it. Like, yeah, and like what the characters kind of like finding themselves in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the so the game starts off and you are in a mining facility on a planet and you're going down mining for ore. Um, and you don't know who you are yet. You you find this artifact, this like really like alien space technology thing. You don't know what it is. You touch it. You, you black out and you have this vision of like traveling across a galaxy. There's this weird music and, and stuff talking to you. It's very like 2001 A Space Odyssey, like, oh. Yeah, yeah. very trippy. Nice. Um, and then you wake up, uh, you know, you, you after this, you set up your character. So you, you create your character, make what they look like, choose like your history. So you can choose like what your background has been, what your different traits um, and abilities are. And then you come in. 
And the game sets you up that like you found this ancient space artifact and there's a group called the Constellation that are space explorers looking to find like the edges of the galaxy, explore the unknowns and find out the answers. And so as you go on through the story, you're finding more of these artifacts. You're unlocking this kind of like space magic powers that you can use throughout gameplay. Wow. Um, and that's kind of like what is being set up for you in the game. Yeah, like for visual context... Um, imagine the device from the movie Contact that they build, the big rings that spin around. Oh, yeah, You're kind of building one of those. Cool. And it's like, what is it for? You don't know until you get to the end of the game, really. Like, what does it actually do? But the more you unlock pieces of this thing and put it together, you're getting more powerful and, like, you're getting little hints of crazy stuff that might be happening. Okay. So it's kind of building on that idea of, um, you know, it looks a bit like a wormhole generator. And when you unlock new powers you essentially step into a thing that looks a bit like a wormhole that we would think of in like general sci-fi, you know, big spinning rings, they spin fast enough. Suddenly there's a big portal to something. And now you've got the ability to turn invisible for a few seconds or see through walls for a few seconds, stuff like that. (laughs) Great gameplay stuff, but it's also like deeply steeped in in classic sci-fi. I love it. It's so good. It's really well done. It's, it's, the way they set it up. And this is kind of what Pigeon was getting at is that like, you can ignore the main story for a really long time. I think, and just I, I, think, do side quests. I think a lot of people have, like people ignored it to the point where they didn't even unlock any powers. You can actually tell um, a lot of the people, so like TikTok has been exploding with like, here's the quickest way to get a lot of credits and how to get the best guns and blah, blah, blah. If you look at their HUD in the video that they put on, yeah. they don't have the power unlocked. And it's kind of like, you know, I've logged 120 hours and I've got a million, million credits and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, but you, you haven't unlocked your magic powers. Like, what are you doing? That's, yeah. the, that's the best part of the... That's the most fun in they've, the game. They've done so much in a game, but have barely scratched the, th- the surface. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Which I find interesting because that does feel very... Um, I guess you call it like near future sci-fi. Like yeah. It's only 300 years in, it, in the future. Yeah. We have a version of faster than light travel using a thing called the grav drive. In classic video game, you know, style, it doesn't actually elaborate too much on like how that works but it bends gravity somehow to pull you or the thing that you're trying to get to closer together. Yeah. And so faster than light. And it's kind of like the way that they've, they've built the whole thing up is that humans are colonizing really quickly because of the grav drive. So we've got, and also because like earth has been earth has destroyed, destroyed. Like like it's been overpopulated. It's a barren wasteland now. So everyone had to abandon earth and colonize the, colonize the star systems. Yeah. So you end up with like, there's thousands of planets, you know, only maybe 20 or so have, actual little cities or like colonies on them but there's outposts everywhere there's like labs and stuff you can explore all these different planets but it's not so far in the future that it's like ludicrous Mm. it feels weirdly grounded even though it's obviously high sci-fi where it's like you can go faster than light and there's magic alien powers and whatever on a base level though it's like yeah there's miners and they're digging for ore because they're still building shit the traditional way there's like fancy robots but there's no like humanoid androids they look like the current robots we have just bigger and fancier okay I was going to say, like, have you, do you in your background of knowing all of the sci-fi, because, like, for clarity, you really introduced me to science fiction when I was young. Yeah. And you've, you know, it's not like you stopped at a certain point. You've kept up with sci-fi. You know way more about the, you know, the foundational science fiction texts and all that sort of stuff. For me, it feels a little bit like it's leaning into that Asimov robots, early space colonization yeah, type period. as you're talking... I'm getting pictures in my head of, of lots of the books I've read mm. that um, did exactly that, had these stories where, the you know, that typical we destroyed the earth and we were forced then to find a way to do faster than light travel, so we got to get out and colonise and yet 
what do we do? How do we do it? Mm. That's exactly how we do it. We still have to do things as ordinary way. And it's not till we get to certain planets where we get, like in Asimov, for example, mm. and um, the Foundation series covers yeah. this. Just currently a great TV show which on is Apple. If fabulous. You oh, I saw that. I should have took it out. Yeah, oh my god, amazing. it's just amazing. <laughs> there were episodes. I'm, I'm skipping around, but there were episodes in that where I was just like, "That is the best thing I have seen in a long time." It's incredibly. Okay, funny. I'm gonna have to. I'll, I'll it was it really, especially if you're like, it feels like a thousand years or maybe more, but like maybe two thousand years in the future yeah, of Starfield. Yeah. it totally fits. Oh, and, nice. And because of the way um, they do the the robot thing. You, you kind of – you remember the three laws of robotics and you expect to see, you know, interesting robots. But where where they got to that point, they there are some planets that become isolated by mm. choice, right? So in this game, not that I've played it, but in this game they're obviously going out, searching, finding new planets, colonising. But then there's a point in time where some of these planets decide to go their own way and develop their own culture and do their own thing, right? So – they decide they're not having robots that look like people. They're only going to have robots that look like mechanical devices. Because yeah. it's too weird otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I, I mean, like, there's so many uh, sci-fi, like, entries that mm. explore that, right? Because, like, the whole idea of, like, you can't have robots that actually are too human. Yeah. I think, I think a few of, like, the later Alien movies, yeah. uh, like, explore that a bit too, being like, it, like humans won't, trust them if they look more like them that's That's right it's the uncanny valley thing of like i would rather visually immediately be able to identify that that's a robot than to be questioning and not sure especially for context danny as well this is what the robots in starfield look like i'm just showing a google image search result of them and there's like you know they don't really go into the three laws very much but they have you know it for me it it makes sense that um starfield exists as 300 years in the future where capitalism won so there are military robots that do kill people and there are mechs that were used. And, you know, there's a whole subtext of the military industrial complex as, as a lever to, to push space exploration. Yeah. It's fascinating that you said actually that these people develop different cultures. Cause that's a huge plot point in the game yeah. that you've got the, what are they called? The, the United uh, oh, colonies. The United colonies. So that's kind of like your like defense force yeah. military uh, group in the game. Yeah, they're kind of like they're sort of a, 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 a not really a stand-in, but they they the the themes that they embody are like that collective good. It's the idea of like if the Western ideals of let's say yeah the AUKUS nations, right? Like if Australia, the UK, and the US got in and colonized space together, we would be like we're all together as a big group, but we're being exclusionary in doing that. Like we're not going to let India, for example, colonize a planet that we've already landed on. Yeah, fun, fun, funnily off on that, so I uh, so spoiler for like a possible outcome for like United Colonies pirate questline in the game. So it is space pirates in the game as well. And there was one point where I was playing around in a random encounter in my ship in space, and a small ship came up to me, a little trader ship, um, and asked me to sell. And I'm like, it's it, and like a, a big thing in role playing games for me too is like how much of an evil bastard would a game actually let me be. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like it's a small ship in space. There's me. I'm a I'm a bigger, like more equipped with weapons ship. So I'm like, all right, give me what you got, otherwise I'm gonna shoot you. And so I did. I shot down this this ship, looted it. Oh my god. <laughs> and then I, I jumped to another star system and the United Colonies were like, you're under arrest. We're gonna take you in. 
I'm like, oh shit, all right. Well, I want to see what's going to happen, so I'll I'll go through with it. They arrest me, they take me into their prison cell, but then like the leader of the United Colonies wanted to talk to me, and it started off this whole quest line of me infiltrating the pirates, trying to get in in bed with them mm. and get as much evidence against them as I could to help the United Colonies, like uh, basically uh, rack, like rack up or gear up against them to take me out. You're you're like a double agent. They're they're sending you undercover. Yep. Uh, so I'm going through through this quest line, uh, and then it, it gives me, and like like towards the end of it, it gives you the option of like, well, who do you actually want to side with, the pirates or the United Colonies? Because you um, could be a triple agent. Yeah. Yeah. So I well, the whole idea is I wanted to be an evil bastard, so I sided <laughs> with the pirates. Perfect. Perfect. And then I I helped fight like this massive space dogfight against all the United Colonies uh, ships and like their main like huge base one. Mm. Uh, all because like I destroyed one ship because I wanted to be a pirate, and the game was like, "All right, do you want to be even? You want to be a pirate? pirate? Yeah, here you go. It's great." Wow. The the other like major faction, I guess there's three of them, but they don't really go into the third one. I gather they're saving that for DLC or something. But the other one was the Free Star Rain Free Star Rangers or something. The Free like Star that? Collective and Free you, Star Collective. You can be it. like a ranger, so they're kind of like more like uh, space western cowboy. They're a bit group. more Firefly. Yeah, you know, oh, that's the first thing that yeah. came to my mind. Yeah. Firefly. I'm like, who doesn't love a space cowboy? Yeah. Yeah. Right? You literally like land on their main planet, Aquila, and it's like it looks like a, a cowboy outpost. Like it's you know, see, because it's that whole concept of um, like if you think about colonization here, and and then people like to have their own group, mm. their own cohort join yeah. them when they you know invade a country because mm. that's what they like to do and they like to have the like-minded people with them so it makes sense to me that you could have a whole planet full of cowboys yeah like that just it seems obvious i mean well, there's, kinda, there's, yeah. there's another group too uh, that you forgot which i haven't actually done too much of them yet so i don't know how much influence they have but the, the Varun, the Varun, yeah. So, so, the, so the, the the main like religion or cult group in the game that are looking for the Great Serpent, the Great Serpent, to unlock again the answers of the universe, kind of similar to what Constellation is looking for, but without a lot of like the religious huge snake undertone. Uh, you really, you, you really won't find much. They they're intentionally kept really vague. I think they're being saved for a sequel or an expansion or a DLC or that kind of thing. Because like there, there is there is like outfits and stuff like a Valorant yeah. soldiers. You'll you know. find outfits. You'll fight them a few times. Like there's yeah. ways to to you'll you'll probably get in dogfights with their ships. Yeah. But the plot lines related to them are very thin. They're like they're involved in a in a few things, but you're never going to visit their home. Maybe planet. that'll be like a like a big DLC. I, I gather it will be. Yeah. And yeah. like part of it is that I feel like, and we sort of touched on this earlier. It's been in development for how bloody long? You get to a point where you have to decide the game is ready to release. Right, and so it might have been that two years ago they were like, "Listen, Starfield has to come out soon. We cannot delay this any longer. We cannot leave it in development any longer." It's possible that the Varun stuff was like a late addition or just wasn't fleshed out enough, and they don't want to get rid of it, so they leave it in the game as like a little nod. They're like, "Keep an eye out for this. This is the thing that might happen." Well, do we want to do we want to use that to go into like what twenty five years in the making? Yeah, go on, go on. Actually, means I, I want to know. Yeah, <laughs> so. Todd Howard, like the director of Bethesda, who's the director of this game, like ever since he wa- he was making video games, always had this grand idea of the big sci-fi space exploration game. Deep down, he's a big sci-fi nerd. Yeah. I think ever since he's been doing stuff, he's been wanting to make this game, but hasn't been able to yet. Yeah. They actually they actually made one in the 90s. They kind of like built one and released it. And I think it just bombed hard, called The Tenth Planet. 
Okay. And that, I don't even know. I've never heard of that. Yeah. And that, and that was like their original go at like trying to do this space game. Uh, oh, it, it, it never actually released. It was cancelled. But it was a game. I think it was it was uh, developed with another company between like 1994 and 1997. So they spent like three years on, on this game. And like you can kind of see, I'll show, I'll show you. There's a couple of images there in the corner of like kind oh. of what they were looking at for it. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, yeah. So 25 years in the making isn't like the game actually in development. It's just kind of like different things have been trying and like they've had the, like the concept for what mm. they've done with Starfield. They've been thinking about and exploring for 25 years. The actual development, like for, for the game that we got, probably started around or, or like started around the time Fallout 4 released, which mm. was 2015. So eight years ago. I mean, that's still a long time, but that does feel more reasonable maybe for yeah. a, for a triple a game like so, yeah so in terms of like the actual game being built and designed and developed probably eight years which is also insane like game development for, like just takes so long and so much money um i was trying to look up to see what kind of budget there was for this game and you know we don't have the actual numbers but pe- people are estimating around 200 million wow. i wouldn't be surprised given the uh time and the, and the scale of the game that's actually probably like more than that maybe even double because I think because we we talked about this at one point I think the Last of Us Part Two and one of the Horizon Zero Dawn games mm. were around like two hundred to two hundred fifty million. Yeah, um, I don't know if their development team is much bigger or smaller than Bethesda, but those games would have been developed in like two or three years. I I, I want to assume the development teams for something like Horizon are bigger, but that's purely on the basis that they built a lot of that from scratch. Like that's a custom game engine. They've done all that. Whereas like for Starfield and like Bethesda as a whole, they've well, been and, using and the same game engine and Star- for a and, long time. And my Bethesda got bought by Mike, well, Zenimax. Who yeah, owned, this is so complicated. Okay, yeah. so sorry, this is, this is going to be like behind the scenes stuff. So yeah. this, this I have got context. a question. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So from a financial point of view, they spend all that money, take <laughs> all that time. Yeah. I'm going to assume and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that they're actually making money then or they wouldn't keep doing oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're making fuck tons of money. Really? It's crazy. Oh, my so, God. So they spend all that money, all that time, and they know they're going to recoup all yeah. of that yeah. and, and still make like a squillion on top. Oh, yeah. So so, wow. so part of this okay. is, so I can't remember when exactly, but the, the publishing company that owns Bethesda is ZeniMax. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, ZeniMax got bought by Microsoft. Uh. Um, and so part of that is now Bethesda is a Microsoft-owned company. So they won't, rele- they won't release games on PlayStation or any other competing platforms, but it'll be PC and Xbox. So Starfield is now what they call an Xbox like flagship title. Okay. So part it's, the, of the, it's the moneymaker for them. Yeah. Yep. So wow. part of that is uh, stuff that will be on Game Pass. So people who um, are subscribed to Game Pass, similar to how you subscribe to Netflix, will be able to just download and play it. Uh, but it's also available on Steam and like wherever else you can get it. Um, it. Bethesda is also known for having a really good past run of games. So okay. again, Skyrim and Fallout and Oblivion, all those games have done really good numbers Skyrim was released about six times during its lifetime yeah, yeah, and yeah. each time broke records like ridiculous S- Sky- Skyrim came out uh, 12 years ago 
originally. And it's and people are still playing it, people still come back to it, and they, they release like the remaster version, the VR version, the special edition, the audio only Alexa edition, mm-hmm. and people are still buying and playing it. It's crazy. Wow, that's where they make their money. Well, like so you may not be aware of this not being tied to either of the industries in any way, but yeah. the games industry as a total is worth nearly four times what the film industry is worth, like globally. Yeah, it's yeah. it's worth more than film and music industries combined. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. when I think back, when CJ and I were talking the other day about my earliest memories of the games, um, Zelda was what came yeah. to mind. And they just released a new one. Oh my god, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really good. Uh, Tears I of mean, the that was like a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I mean, Nintendo have been go- have been going for like even, even longer than Microsoft, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. And it, and it was like when those games first came out, and the imaging and the storylines, and and they were fascinating. And it was like, wow, that's pretty good. And then you look ahead to where they've got to now, and the visuals and the yeah. technology behind it. Well, you know what? I mean, like, so, so this isn't um, sci-fi Starfield, but if you used to play Legend of Zelda, it might be worth, if you if you are able to play on, like, Nintendo's latest uh, console, the, the Switch, or the, the Nintendo Switch, check out the latest couple of Zelda games because they're massively expanded from what they used to be. I'd have to do it just out of nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's going to be so many like callbacks and references and familiar patterns yeah. in the new ones, while the new ones are also still like so much more different and, and open and kind of like uh, complex and deep in what they do. Yeah, it's it's honestly like it's fascinating diving into it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, in terms of um, in terms of money for for Starfield and Bethesda, so Bethesda has already confirmed that this is their like biggest launch of any game they've done. Uh, ever compared to any of their previous ones and all of their previous ones have done numbers Fallout and Skyrim alone were huge um, amazing I think an, I think another big part of this too and Bethesda is like is like kind of like welcoming and it incorporates this in their design a bit but um, there's the there's the community of people who come and make mods for the game yeah so people will come in and, and the game is kind of like so th- these are people who want to come in and like develop their own stuff to add to the game so Bethesda will release modding tools so people can use all the assets, go in the, in the engine, make things, and kind of like add their own content, their own characters, their own DLC, their own weapons, or like anything they want. Some of these are garbage where people are like, I'm going to make everybody a cat person or have a giant ass. Like that's very common. Yeah. But some of them are like, I'm going to take everything from Legend of Zelda and put it into Starfield. And, and you're like, that's incredible. That's That'll be a big reason why people keep coming back and playing the game is because they can basically customize the game to be whatever the hell they want it to be. Yeah. Like Skyrim is very much high fantasy uh, you know, you you play a dragonborn. You've got special dragon powers, and it's swords and bows and arrows and that sort of stuff. Uh, so you fight dragons, and somebody made a mod that turns all the dragons into characters from Thomas the Tank Engine, and it is <laughs> yeah, hilarious. It's, it's literally Thomas the Tank Engine, giant <laughs> flying around in the sky, breathing fire at you, and you're shooting a bow yeah. and arrow trying to kill. Yes. Instead of like a, a, a dragon roar, it's the actual like choo choo, <laughs> like oh the sound God. happens. It's very good. Like it's ridiculous, but it's honestly it's amazing. I mean, but, but that, that's another point with Starfield too. Right? Like it's just come out. We're playing it. We're playing it the way that like Bethesda has made it. Yeah, we're playing and what they call the vanilla version. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also just as excited to come back to it. Yeah. In one or two years, when there's so many mods come out, see what the big ones are, see mm-hmm. like what all the quality of life improvements are, and like 
like change the entire game again and go in fresh, not knowing what to expect. Yeah. Because like it's the kind of thing where I've gone back and I've, and I've modded and played Fallout and Skyrim, and like every time I go back to it, it's different and it's yeah. new and it's and exciting. It's yeah, so it's much a fun. fascinating concept because, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. They keep making new games, but they'll take forever. But they do make new games. But in yeah. the meantime, they've got a way to keep people coming back mm. and still get excitement and enjoyment out of it. Yep. And so between all of that, you, people can't wait, obviously, to see what they come up with next. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's a good hook. Oh, it's a great hook. It's awesome. It's one of those things, too, where, like, there's a, a lot of the industry at the moment is making games as a service. Mm. So it'll make games where, like, it doesn't actually cost anything to buy and play the game. The game itself is free. Right. But um, – and a lot of it to do will be with playing online with, with other people, and they're trying to monetize it that way. So I'll try and sell you, like, different weapons or different skins or different characters – um, or you, you'll buy like a season pass, play for this month, uh, do all these challenges, unlock these different things, but you've got to pay 20 bucks for that pass in order to do those. And and like, I, I, I don't know what the ratio would be, but like I feel like most games coming out now are based on that online live service uh, model. Yeah. Certainly it's been a, uh, an, I would say, unfortunate trend from like the last decade. Yeah. It's happening more and more and more. And it, it pisses me off where like a great concept they announced something and they're like, like the Marvel Avengers game. Yeah. Very first trailer. I was like, fuck yeah, I'll play the hell out of that. It looks awesome. Two weeks later, they're like, oh, it's a game as a service. And I was like, I'm out. Don't want to do it. Cause they, they're, they're delisting that game. Yeah, I know. I it just, did not I, live. I, yeah. I, I just bought it for five bucks. Which like is what 90% happens. Off. Most of these games fall over. It's yeah. really, really hard to do a game as a service. Like you would know, mum, from your IT background, software as a service, right? Yeah. And yeah. like how that sort of exploded. And now every bloody bit of software is as a service, right? You can't yeah. buy fucking Photoshop anymore. You buy a subscription to the creative suite. Yeah, because it's blah, all blah, blah. about monetizing it. Right. Yep. But it, they don't think about you as the end user, what your experience is going to be and how you want the experience to, to be fascinating enjoying mm. you know and yeah. you don't want to keep paying for every little tiny bit it's hard and people so, get really annoyed in the end yeah. so it like an, another like kind of problem that comes out of that is like the like it's very rare for a game studio to be able to make a massive single player game mm. where you just buy the game off the bat and you have the whole game it's rarer again to do that with a brand new ip yeah like we sort of talked about that with like Baldur's gate 3 in the last podcast where like it, it is a rare instance of a truly triple A incredible game that has a one-off price and now you own it and you can play it a billion times you if know, you want. There might be DLC or an expansion that you can pay like 20 bucks for in the future to mm. get like more content. <clears throat> but like Starfield as like a big, massively budget triple A single player yeah. new IP game, that doesn't happen anymore, no. especially one that's been in development for eight years. Like, if you're tr if you're trying to pitch to a studio or a publisher to be like, I want to make, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a, I was going to say like Game of Thrones or something, but like a new fresh IP that no one's heard of. No one's ever heard of it. I want to make a $200 million game. It's going to be single player, not games as a service. So the only monetization is, is buying a game once. No one's going to sign off on that. No. <laughs> There's rumors about the new Grand Theft Auto where they talked about the budget is now up to like 400, 500 million. They're like most expensive game of all time. That wouldn't shock me to be honest. Right? I, mean, I mean, GTA 5 came out in like 2013, I think. Yeah. And they're saying like, oh, it'll come out in the next few years and they're going to charge $150 for it to recoup that money. I don't know if that's necessarily Ooh, true. That's going to be that, that's, that that's right? going to be controversial. Controversial. So I don't know if that actually will happen, but I love the thought that like even Rockstar 
it's the sixth iteration of one of the most popular and highest selling games of all time. Grand Theft Auto Five or like is the most popular. It's game the of most all popular time. game, right? And so they're looking at it, and even they are like, "This is going to be a hard sell." Actually, no. Like, actually, no. I take that back. Now it's Fortnite. Oh, that makes sense. But, yeah. G- but GTA Five would have been for a while for the a quite most a while. popular one. I definitely think it's one of the highest grossing games of all time. Yeah, like GTA Five had that same issue of they it's a one-off you buy it you own the story but they also figured out how to monetize the multiplayer yeah and so they had like you can buy in-universe money for real cash to buy in-universe games and dumb shit like that and like people spent thousands of dollars to buy you know video game cars like it's dumb but people love it yeah it's insane to me i mean there's the whole thing of uh i mean we're going on a massive tangent now but like, that's what we do but like eve online which is another big sci-fi yeah. space massively online multiplayer game where people spend real money to buy like ships and stuff in game like thousands and thousands of dollars and it's a game where like because it's purely online the universe is always existing and always changing and always living so whenever you log in things are happening whenever you're not playing the game things are still happening in that world yeah. um because people are logging in and playing. Like, everyone you encounter is a real person uh, playing uh, from their end. And there was a point, I forget when this happened, but there was a massive uh, space war yeah. where people got into this giant dogfight and, yeah. and shooting their ships at each other. We should do an episode about it, yeah. actually, because there's a lot to unpack with that. And and with all the destruction, people lost, in, in real money, tens of thousands of dollars because of everything they bought in game that was now like destroyed yeah. and lost and, and we'd it, have to find there's it. A, there's a yeah. memorial in game for it now as well like yeah. it's it's insane we'd uh, we'd have to get an economist to to guest on that one Eve the, the, is the so company, complicated. The company that makes Eve has an yeah. economist like working for them full time, w- like analyzing the virtual economy within the game. Yeah, I can believe that by the sound of it. Yeah. It's wild. Like they give quarterly reports on it. Oh yeah. my god! To bring it back to to Starfield though, like that. To me, the the reason I love it so much, and so I've finished it, right? I almost don't want to admit this because it's only been out for, what, like two, two and a bit weeks? <laughs> you did the same with Baldur's Gate. Where, same with Baldur's like, Gate. had like I 120 just hours. Like, I'm doing it. And I'm like, I, I, I tried to play yeah. as much as I could on top of work. Um, and then it was the kind of thing where like I wanted to finish the main story, but I also wanted to do quite a bit of the side stuff. Yeah. So hence doing the pirate, pirate storyline. And also in line of being a, an evil bastard, I did the Ryujin corporate storyline as well good, good story yeah that was a lot of fun uh but anyway back to you with it with the basically with the main story i ended up with a bit i'd have to do the math on this exactly but it's, it's not quite 100 hours but i'm getting up there like i'm well and truly past a week's worth of actual play right yep which is like oh it's embarrassing but because i finished it the way the game kind of so like a lot of single player games right they have a thing called new game plus so you finish the story and the game says do you want to start a new game but you get to keep all of your skills Right, so the idea is... Yeah, like all your level ups and upgrades. All your level ups. So you have like, you know, the idea is, yeah, it's this thing we're talking about. You buy the game, you spend, I don't know, 100 bucks, you own it now. And maybe it's only 50 hours worth of content. And you get to a point where you're like, they're like, you have now finished the game. You have reached the end of the story. And the game says, we want you to keep playing it because you spent 100 bucks. We want you to get your money's worth, right? So most companies who make these sorts of games, which is, you know, Last of Us does it, God of War does it, all these kind of guys. They go... Start a brand new game. I call it New Game Plus, and you get to keep all of your level ups. So you might not keep your gear. You're starting from scratch in the story, but your character is automatically like level 50 and already a badass. And you're like, great, right? Starfield does something a little different. So this is your very last chance to tune out if you do not want this ruined for you. When you finish Starfield, the main constellation story is the the main plot line. 
when you finish it, what happens is you build this portal using these little artifacts that you're collecting. They turn into these three giant ring things that spin around super fast and you attach that to your ship. The next time that you grav jump, you grav jump into the center of the universe and you meet yourself. Oh shit, that's that's what, like where I'm at in the story is I have it ready to build on my ship. Yeah, so be no. careful and the game will warn you, but the second it is activated on your ship, the next time you jump anywhere into system, anything that uses the grav jump, you will instead jump to the center of the universe. You meet yourself and you are witnessing the, the center of the multiverse and yourself will tell you, congratulations, you have unlocked the secret of the universe. Life continues forever and ever and ever, and you will just keep living new lives over and over and over and over again. And that's the story, right? So you and become that's how you start again, because you go to like another parallel. Exactly. So that's kind of what I assume. So it's cool to actually see how that happens. It's really well done. It, you turn into a thing called Starborn, which is like, it's a little bit of a Bethesda in Skyrim, your Dragonborn. I see what they've done there. Yeah, but it's, you, it's not subtle. It's not subtle. So what happens is you lose all of your gear, your money, everything, right? And a lot of people were kind of pissed because you get there and it's like, I've just spent 80 hours. I have an immense ship. I have all these guns. I have all this money. It's wonderful, right? They're like the game kind of points out to you, like, yeah, but that was never the point. Like you chose to do that this time. The point of the story is what will you do next time? Now that you know this and you are one of the only people in this universe that knows this truth, what will you do with that information? So I found now my second playthrough, I go, I don't give any fucks about my ship or money or any of that. I'm looking for like cool stories. I'm looking for people I didn't meet before. Like the exploration really doubles down. Yeah. And it's fascinating because I've realized I've never seen this done in a game in this way before. Your skill points continue to add up forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? And the game has a really unique skill point system. You activate a skill that you like. So for example, uh, one of them is, you know, buying and selling, bartering, right? You say, I want to put one point into that. It will then challenge you and be like, okay, buy and sell 50 unique items. And if you finish that, you can give it another point and it keeps going until you max it out. I can in see. Theory. I can see too. Why, like, like doing the fifty in between, putting another point. Like, you have to grind it out. You have to grind it out. It's not quick, but because of the size of the game, it's actually probably a good thing. Yeah, because you have to you have to space it out. Right? Yeah. So you can kind of get the idea is that like a single playthrough. If you did all of the side stories that are part of the main narrative, you're still only going to be like level fifty or sixty, maybe by the time you finish the game. So in theory, to max out all of the skill points in the game, you would have to finish the game like fifteen to twenty times. So like that's how they've built that replayability. And it's cool because it adds new dialogue. It adds new weird shit that can happen. I, like for example, my new game, the second time I did it, you meet yourself who is already in that universe <laughs> and you can have a conversation with yourself. You can have your custom character as a companion. Really? It's fucking bananas. Holy shit, that's, in, that's awesome. <laughs> There's one universe that is broken and if you go into it, all of the characters are you. They're wait, all of your custom. What? So wait, there's, you can choose different universes. You to don't get to pick. It's random. Every time you do a new game plus, you get a random new universe where something is weird and different. So, so there's it just one, throws you into a new place. So yeah. There's one where like, so, so each time you do it, there's like different like factors of random elements that could happen. Yeah, you get a little story that kind of explains like what, what the decisions that you made this time, what did they do? So you get a bit of an epilogue every time. That's kind of like, like I mean, I mean, that's fun. Like, because I, 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 you know, destroyed or defeated the UC as yeah. pirates. So right? that'll come up, and they'll be like, "You are now gone from this universe. When you go through the portal, you leave, but that universe stays." And the game kind of gives you this moment to be like, "So you were pretty evil, and that's <laughs> going to have ramifications. Yeah, like you've left a lot of suffering behind. Do you decide that you are okay with that, or are you like, oh, I was very evil. I should be better next time.'" 
it's kind of interesting so, that it gives you that as yeah. you, you don't get to choose. Okay, like, I was I was gonna say because like that sounds like it's giving you like how do you feel about it and that'll factor in for that like, yeah. universe. It literally is just about your feelings. The game doesn't say this or that. It's just like here is what you've left behind, you maniac. And then it lets you start again. And you can sit there and go, do I feel like that was good? Do you, Did I like that? Do okay. I want to continue my reign as a space pirate? And now that you know the plot, you can shortcut some stuff. Yeah. Like if you know who the villain of a particular plot line is, just go straight there and shoot that guy. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> is is there a kind of thing where like um, when you go to a, new, to a new universe, do you have like your character creation come up again? So can you like choose your different backgrounds? No. But, um, okay, I'll give you that one. You, you can never change your background, right? It's the only thing you can never change. So you can change your appearance at any point. There's yep. a medical clinic on most of the major planets and you can fully change your character customization. I don't think there's any way to change your chosen background from the very first time you created the character. Interesting. Because like, like, for example, I chose like Neronin as my background. Yeah. Um, but you could be like chef or like alien DNA or medical yeah. experiment. Or and they, they come with different perks and pros and cons. There's one that's like adoring fan. And if you I picked, have the adoring fan. So every single He's time. He's a fucking annoying little shit. But here's the thing. You can choose what to do with him every time you do a new game plus. He will always show up again. Always. I love it. Sometimes you can be like, yeah, all right, you can be my companion. You can hang out on my ship. Other times you shoot him dead. Other times you <laughs> insult him until he leaves, right? Yeah. There's multiple things you can do. <laughs> There's one that's really fun. Actually, you might get a kick out of this. It's very entertaining. There's one that you can choose to have loving parents. And it's like, it's such a weird RPG thing to do. If you choose it in game, you have parents and they have a house and you can visit them. <laughs> but the con of this, right? They give you presents occasionally, but 10% of all of your money, every yeah. time you take money or get money, 10% goes to them. <laughs> Hilarious. You know what's funny? Hilarious. <laughs> and, and and this ties into like, how evil will a game let me be? And yeah. like, how, how does it play out? I thought about like, do I choose that? And visit them and only, and kill one of them. You could, yeah. And then leave and see what that does. If I, if I leave just just the mum or the dad alive and the other one dead, and what that what that does to the family and what that does in the, in the with the larger mechanics. Well, this, this is why the game like? took eight years to make. Is yeah. that like you can do that? Like they accounted for that. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, it's I think, wild. I think part of like like Todd Howard. Is, I think mum's shaking her head. Like what? Like, what? Yeah. yeah, like 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 part of what Todd Howard said in some interviews is like every like possible question or wants that we could think of what the player would do like we present this opportunity and, and the player wants to be like well what if I did this or can I do this and all this kind of stuff they wanted to be able to accommodate for any and all of it that's amazing um, and it's one, it's one of those things too where Bethesda games in particular I don't know what it is but like they just unlock something with people who play them where they just want to try and like break the game or do like the weirdest shit uh, I mean me me trying to be an evil character there might be someone who's just trying to who's just trying to do like dumb shit or like or like have a really low intelligent character in Fallout and speak in gibberish constantly yeah like yeah. how much can the game accommodate for stuff like that so that's what really adds into like the, 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 the sheer that, size yeah. and scale of of the of the end product drive what we play. Yeah. But also like the development process in order to make that. Mm. Like it's insane. It reminds me a bit of um, software development in the IT industry when they think about building something and they think what's the really craziest things people will try to do with this software? Yeah, how would I try and break how, it? Yeah, because yeah. it's kind of weirdly instinctive. Or like how would I exploit it? Yeah, mm. is there... You know, will they try to figure out how to get around this? How will we get extra something of that? How do I not do what you're trying to make me do? Yeah. Is there a way that I can take advantage of what you've I, done? Funnily enough, so in in games in particular, I'll, I'll play games and I'll play very like linear, like structured games. 
that's trying to get me to do one thing in particular. And I'm like, I want to do everything I can to avoid doing that or do <laughs> something else and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, not uh, a video game specifically, but um, I forget what it's called, but the Black Mirror um, mm. interactive one that they did. Yeah, Bandersnatch, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we, we talked about it on the podcast. And I remember trying to be like, the game, Bandersnatch really wants you to go to therapy to talk about your mum. Yeah. And like, no matter what you do, at some point, you have to go through that moment because it's an integral part of the plot and it's a bottleneck. It's a bottleneck, story. yeah. And I, I remember like replaying it and doing all this kind of stuff. And I was trying to do like, well, I want to try and explore and do as much as I can everything around that to not do that or see if there's like another path to, mm. the, to the end that's different to that. But it's it's very like you know it 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 forces you to go through that at one point whether yeah. you like it or not. It kind of has to. All all those choose your own adventure things do this. I like you know I, I can talk about this because it, it hasn't eventuated. But I was developing a choose your own adventure horror TikTok show, and part of that we realized as we were trying to map out the plot was like okay you have a problem here because let's say it's ten episodes long, and at the end of every episode the audience chooses A or B oh my God, what have you done? You have 40 to 50 episodes now and you have to film those all ahead of time. The more, what I, that's everything, the more choice you give to do one as a player, yeah. like the, the the more it just exponentially it's scales. Chaos. So, so you, like you, you have up, to rein it in. Yeah, you, you end up having to put bottlenecks in at some point where you go, we give them all this choice up to a point and then all of those choices lead to either this, this or this. And then we only have three again. And then you can blow. You can do that a few times. I mean, you know? Ma- Mass Effect did that as well. Yeah, I did. I, I haven't played it myself, but I know they they did like because you have the the good, the evil, and I think the neutral. Uh, I suppose like mm. paths that you can do. And towards the, with, the, with what the end of the game is, it didn't really matter which one you did. You get a different colored explosion. Yeah, they did fix that. I will. I will, we, we should do a whole episode on that because that one I think pairs really well with like the expanse. Yeah, I want, yeah. We the could, we the expanse in Mass Effect I think would be great. It's just yeah. a huge. It's time. a big undertaking. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of TV and a lot of games, but with with Starfield, the way they've kind of answered this is like, I think Bethesda's history of making these sorts of games, especially we talked about how much they're modded, right? Yeah. They know that the fan base are going to try to break these things and get weird with it. Well, right? this has also been another, another point to bring up too. I'm not sure how much specifically, but in terms of the size of people they have to make this game, like the developer team, it's probably like at least 500 people. Have to be. That's um, huge. Like I know like, like Call of Duty, for example, has like multiple studios across the world working on it and that's like 600 people. Yeah. And they're releasing a new one each year. They actually, I read something yesterday or the day before about this. It's the first time the new Call of Duty, each segment of the game is a different studio. First time that's ever happened. So one company is doing the single player campaign, one company is doing the multiplayer, and one company is doing the zombies DLC extra bit. That wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. I think it's perfect because they figured out, like you, you won't be familiar with this, Mum, but you, you would know you've heard of Call of Duty, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everyone's heard of Call of Duty. So for the last, like, I don't know, decade, every, every year, Without fail, there's a new Call of Duty every fucking year. And they started to see patterns where like Treyarch as a company, whenever they made one every third year, it had really good multiplayer or really good story or something like that, right? And so the, the audience started like going, well, I'm not that excited for next year's one because that'll be Infinity Ward and their campaigns are great, but their multiplayer sucks, <laughs> right? And so this year they kind of went, all right, we have understood what is happening, but also it's just become so unwieldy to make a game that's a triple A hundred million dollar multi hundred million dollar game. Well, I think so they too, went, let's let each studio do the thing that they're the best at and then we'll just mash them together. Well, you know what as well, like if, when you have a big company like that having studios across countries and time zones and stuff, it makes sense to give like, okay, yeah. the people 
in California or like in this time zone will we'll work on this specific thing. And then when, whenever they need stuff from other people, ideally it's all within their time zone and, they're, and they're, they don't have like this bottleneck of having, mm. having to communicate with like people on the other side of the world or doing whatever they need to do. So like I think games on that scale, it makes sense to have that amount of people and have it kind of like segmented like that. Yeah. Because otherwise, how, how the fuck are you meant to like navigate and actually manage all of that? Yeah. It's fascinating as well to look at like, like you sort of, you know, mum, you, you pointed out a second ago, this, this like how shocking it is that they're so expensive to make and yet they make their money back. Like that's wild, right? It is wild. And you think how, like if that was a movie, right? You're talking Marvel level, end game level budgets. Yeah. They have to make a billion dollars. And if they don't, that's catastrophic, right? With the video games, it's kind of different. Well, it's not necessarily different, but something like Starfield I don't think it's going to have an issue. I suspect it has well, well I mean, and truly started making its budget back. Starfield now is also not just tied on game sales because like Starfield is going to be used to sell Game Pass and, exactly. and to sell Xbox consoles. So it's so, a different so, metric. So, so that's the other, yeah, that's the so other the side of it. It's extra money. Yeah. yeah, yeah they're yeah. like, you it's, want it's, it's Starfield selling, so you'll buy Game Pass to play it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like yeah. they have Starfield as a flagship to sell Microsoft products. Yeah. If that makes sense. Makes sense. Like that's yeah. the point yeah. of the acquisition, you know? So they end up Well, that's with, why they do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're looking longer term and what are the other benefits we can get? Where else can we make our money? Yeah. That's what they do. It's, it's interesting to look at that and kind of go, that's one way to do it. And, you know, there's not enough. I say there's not enough. I haven't tested this. Maybe there is enough. Generally, I would assume, though, there is going to be a, a point at which there is audience saturation of this type of game, like a full price hundred plus dollar game. You know, we already sort of saw it in the last month or so. When you have three or four of these games come out at once and they're all massive. Huge, huge. Well, that's games. another thing. Baldur's Gate three came out like two weeks before Starfield. Yeah, that was also another game that was in development for almost a decade. Yeah, it's, it's like two games. I mean, two like different styles of game came out back to back. Arguably, biggest games of the decade. Yeah, like it's 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 insane how that lines up. And in well. like three weeks, there's the new Spider-Man two game coming out, which yeah. would be just as popular. And so then, you're like, at a certain then, point, how how does how do you you know forecast audience buy-in when you start to look at that and go how many games do people actually buy in a year? Like your average gamer surely is not dropping six, $700 a year on games. Surely. I mean, especially since I bought Starfield and didn't get it on Game Pass. A hundred bucks on Baldur's Gate 3 and a hundred bucks on Starfield. Most people aren't going to do that. It's a lot in a short space of time, yeah. especially now with like, you know, I don't know if it's the same for all of our listeners around the world, but certainly in Australia, the cost of living is going up and wages are not. Times are tough. You start looking at games and realize that's expensive. a luxury product, right? Yeah. I don't need Starfield to eat, but Game, my God, I and, want it. And games are getting more expensive. Like, yeah. like we don't have the, like games are especially expensive in Australia, despite them being digital now. I don't have to worry about like exporting and the shipping costs of getting discs oh, over here. One of these days we're going to get into that. Not today. But yeah. yeah, isn't it fascinating? Like just from, you know, okay, so mum, you, you're big into sci-fi. Yeah. I would say majority that you consume though would be books and films and TV. Fair to say? Definitely. I mean... You don't really delve too much into, let's say, audiobooks, podcasts. I'm... I Interestingly, because I love um, my movies and my TV shows, but I, I only like the ones I like. Mm. Um, I don't want to waste my time watching random shit that... Yeah, it hasn't, waste it, that yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to waste my time. I, would, I don't want to get an episode or two into something and go, well, I'm just going to watch it because, you know, I've paid for Netflix, so I'm going to watch it. Mm. Like, no, I'm not wasting my time because there's so much content out there yeah. that I'd rather 
watch something that has been recommended to me or I've looked up or whatever. It's like it's like a go-to recommendation I keep telling people at the moment. It's kind of like sci-fi drama thriller, but Severance on oh, Apple so TV. Good. That's so fantastic. Like, like I keep telling everyone being like, like the premise is very like simple and, and like like oh my god like that's what it's doing and then like the actual like the writing and the payoff is so satisfying yeah, yeah. like when people talk about like you know i want to watch something that's not gonna waste my time that's always one i'm like no don't worry like it won't the, waste the, your time. this yeah. will be worth it yeah well see the, the thing i find too is that and and maybe it's a generational thing but i'm very tactile so i'd rather hold a book mm-hmm. than listen to a book that makes sense um and even in electronic books, like I've done that because sometimes it's a convenience thing, mm. but it's to me it's not as satisfying. Yeah. And because I'm one of those people that I can re-watch a movie or TV series more than once because there's always, if it's really good, there's lots of layers in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you, you want to come back to it and you want to catch some new nuance that you missed before and... It's the same with books, I right? Feel, I feel like one of the, like, the early examples of that for me was I would always watch Back to the Future as a kid. <laughs> and every time I would like watch it again, I'd always like pick up on like a detail mm. or something extra that I missed last time. And it, it became like a running thing. Like, I would have seen it like a dozen times and noticed something new every time. Every time, yeah. But that's what makes something great. It yeah. is. One of the ones I watched a million times was Fifth Element. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just – everything about that. I love it and the pacing and the way they do it and and yet you'd think once you'd seen it a couple of times, okay, so you know everything that's going to happen. But the way it's done, it's just like it's a new thing every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my brain is surprised by things even though I know I've seen it before. And, and that's the kind of thing too where you think about that on like the other side of it, of the people who like made it and the creators behind it, being like that attention to detail oh, yeah. mm. is just phenomenal. And, and yeah. like bringing that back to Starfield, right, is because of like the how huge and immense the game is and, you know, replaying it and doing something different every time. But again, it is that, that small attention to detail thing, right? Mm. Like I think that you can get like um, like food items and small stuff in the game and you can pick up like snacks that look like dogs. <laughs> and on the description of them, it talks about like a, a canine treat of of a long ex, a long extinct creature from Earth, basically like implying that like mm. because of whatever happened, dogs became extinct. They're no longer around anymore. But you wouldn't notice unless you looked at this description of this small insignificant item in the game yeah, that, get, that, that, that yeah. gives you that yeah. nugget of, of information. It's it's really it's awesome. Do you, you know what the difference between so Fallout being the other sort of big, uh, similar-ish, sci-fi-ish Bethesda game, right? Super depressing. It's a post-apocalyptic nuclear war happened in like the 60s or whatever. So it's like retro-futuristic, right? Really dark and depressing and grim. Starfield is Fallout without the depression. That's what but, it actually is. But also like Fallout, while grim and depressing, also has like an absurdist sense of humor to oh, it. Oh yeah, like it's super turned up to 11. It's wackadoodle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is really like, it's, it's kind of trippy, right? It's really fun. Like it's, it's really like, yeah, everything's fucked and, and grim and dark. But also like everything is kind of like tongue-in-cheek, weird, yeah. capitalist like the Vault Boy iconography against everything being like, you do your part. You have you have a weapon where you shoot a mini nuclear bomb. Yeah. And when you reload it, it has like a microwave ding to yeah. like tell it, you know, it's ready to go again. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. But like Starfield is certainly more grounded, but it has way more optimism too, which like yeah. I like those little details where like you, you find something 
where you're like, oh, I found a derelict ship. That should be a depressing moment of like, these people are probably dead. I wonder what happened to them, blah, blah, blah. But you instead find out that like, oh, they got rescued or, you know, actually the ship was evil and has been abandoned intentionally or whatever. And it's like, it's that sort of like attention to detail and replayability where it doesn't feel like it's trying to make a depressing commentary on the state of the world. Yeah. It's trying to give you like that. It's like, I like NASA punk, right? It's optimistic, but it's, it's a realist. It's like, <laughs> it'll take us a long time to go further than we're getting. It's but we're getting there. It's funny though, because like you say that, but like if, if I think about a lot of my favorite like sci-fi games and movies, like I love like the, the dark grim stuff. Like I love Dead Space and Event Horizon. Yeah. I would love to see someone make a mod and add it to Starfield mm. that is basically like, here's Event Horizon happening in Starfield. Or, or it'll happen or for here's, sure. Or I mean, I talked about this because there was a mod for this with Fallout 3, but here's Cube in Starfield. Here's... Yeah. Dead Space in Starfield. Fuck it. Like the game is so big that you, you definitely it, could. it kind of accommodates anything and everything that you want. There's there's some really fun little little bits and pieces. I'll give you one. So it sounds like you don't know the answer to this, and I'm curious. Do you know what happened to Earth? No, funnily enough, I actually didn't really land on Earth and look at it. I was I was just like, no, fuck it, I just want to explore. So on your first playthrough, you will have to go to Earth at least once as part of the main story. Oh, like early in the story, yeah. It's it's yeah, it's like it's quite late in the in the story. It's oh. like almost towards the end. Oh, okay. Because I remember, you, like, you, you go to Seoul. To Seoul, I think maybe there's something near the moon. I didn't. I have. There's actually, a bunch of stuff in Seoul. There's multiple things to do. I in haven't. The I haven't actually yeah. landed on Earth, and I've played the game for like fifty hours. Yeah. So eventually, you're gonna hit a point of the main quest line that's like you need to go to Seoul, and specifically, you're going to where NASA headquarters is. Oh. And you're like, oh, interesting you will discover the origins of the grav drive are in fact related to the entire plot of the entire game. And I was like, for me, that's classic sci-fi. I love is that. that like, when you get the ability to travel faster than light for any reason, you have fundamentally fucked something with physics. Like that is not allowed, right? So to do that, we must have done something not okay. And it turns out whatever that not okay thing is, like minor spoilers, the grav drive is the reason that Earth is desolate and destroyed. That makes Interesting. Sense. And for it. me, I was like, that relates a little bit. I, I said this before the podcast, I think, but um, for those who aren't familiar with the name Fermi, the Fermi paradox. I don't know this. So there's a star system in the galaxy called Fermi. It's not, I, as far as I'm aware, we've never actually named an actual system Fermi. I, I gather if you looked it up, it's actually like, Sun P592, whatever the fuck, right? In the game, it's called Fermi. You might know this, mum. You know the Fermi paradox? Yeah. This is like a very sci-fi thing, right? But it's not just sci-fi. This is like an actual like philosophical issue, right? So the Fermi paradox is that, statistically speaking, we know there must be life on other planets. Just there's trillions upon trillions upon trillions. It's ludicrous to assume that we are the only ones, right? So the Fermi paradox is, given the number of habitable planets that must exist in the universe, why is it so quiet out there? What is going on? Like, why haven't we found anybody yet? Oh, you have told me about this. Right? I just didn't know the name of it. Yeah. The Fermi yeah, Paradox. Yeah, yeah. So this idea is basically, or one of, the, one of the answers to the Fermi Paradox is a thing called the Great Filter. And the idea is that the reason that it's very quiet out there is that either we're very early to the party or we're very late to the party. And that in order to leave your home planet and join some sort of interstellar whatever you have to overcome something massive, right? So you think about this, it, just the distance is involved, right? It is not likely that the human race as it currently exists would get to Alpha Centauri. No. It's just not likely. It's so, so far away in real terms, it's ludicrous to assume it, right? Yeah. So we would have to figure out a way to move faster than light in order to do that. 
it is more than likely that the great filter is something that requires you to destroy your home planet in order to leave it. That like the reason that most it's quiet out there is that most species either decide never to leave and stay where they are and that's that's how they live or they've left but they destroyed their home planet in the process. Yeah, at great cost. At great cost. So I find it interesting that Starfield leans into that and is like the answer to the Fermi paradox in Starfield, there's no aliens anywhere in the game as far as we're aware, right? We never meet them. They, you, there's like aliens and there's, there's alien there, life. There's, there's a, yeah, because like, there's like creatures, but it's, creatures. it's not like sentient life. No, 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 no beings you could have a conversation with, right? Yeah. The first time you meet them is part of the main storyline. You meet these things that are called the Starborn, right? It is revealed later on, huge spoilers, they are people that you know from the game but have already finished their version of the game. So like, so like other characters or other versions of So you? for example, you may remember the character Barrett. Yes. He is also, I think he's the emissary, right? Cool. So when you, when you finally unmask the emissary and it's Barrett and you're like, dude, why are you being an asshole to me? What is going on? And he's like, no, I'm not your Barrett. I'm a Barrett from a different universe who went to the center and I, is now free to travel. I love that. Like, it's not just you. It's you can really actually cool. find other characters. Multiple of them too. And some of them you'll be really surprised about. And you'll be like, in my story, like your actual character is like a nobody. But in his universe, he's the main character and he went through the portal and is now free to travel the universe. You, you know what that makes me think of? Of like this really small, seemingly insignificant character that I hope because of this, I see more of. In the well, there's a guy like sitting like in an alley uh, behind a shop and he's talking big, big attitude. And he's like, I want to fight you. And if you say like, all right, <laughs> let's go, let's see. He immediately backs down and is a bit of a coward. I haven't seen any other interaction with him, but he has a name. He has, he has a distinct look and he has a dis- distinct What's his voice. Name? Do you remember? I forget. But, but like he has a character name. Like he's not like Citizen. There's They're usually a- called The Something. Is the Starborns? There's like the hunter, the emissary, yeah. the 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 um, advocate, that sort of shit, right? But occasionally they don't have those names, and you'll be like, "What the fuck?" There's but a whole I, bunch of them. But I hope just because I've seen like this, like this named character with this like like one tiny encounter, being like, and like a, and what I thought was a distinct voice, I was mm. like, I hope there's more of that or more from mm. him. Whether it's like whether it's another interaction with that character, or if I just see him in another version of that character as a starborn, that'd be mm. really cool. Well, I'll give you one. I'm going to spoil a big one because we, we sort of started this before the podcast and I want to bring it up. So one of the only voice actors that I recognized from the cast is a guy named Armin Shimmerman. Now, mum, you recognize that name. I did straight away. And, and the first thing I remembered, um, Quark. Quark yeah. from Deep Quark Space Nine, Star Trek. Deep Space Nine. Love it. And, and it's, um, I'm re-watching Buffy. At the moment. Of course, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> and I had forgotten he was in it too. But yeah. what, what was funny about it was in Deep Space Nine, of course, he's in makeup the whole time. The whole time, yeah. And it wasn't until they did this one episode where they're in this newsroom and they're themselves, they're actual all Like these, the actors without the makeup? Yeah, the, the actors makeup? without I, I, all the I makeup. I need to watch Deep Space Nine. You should, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and so that's the only time in the whole series that you see... The actual actor. The face of actual yeah. Armin Shimmerman. Wow. So I'm re-watching Buffy and he's like the high school principal. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Quark. It's fucking Quark. I didn't realise. Yeah. And he's got a great He's got a very, voice. like you can hear it. And yeah, you're like, that's yeah. Armin Shimmerman. Right? I know that guy. So he plays uh, Walter Stroud. Yeah. So small spoiler, Walter is a starborn that you can encounter a few times. And he is like, yeah, no, the ship company bullshit that he like regular... Walter does, that's fucking boring. He's like, in his universe, he took over a constellation. He went through the portal. He's not a nice guy. 
And you're like, ooh. Oh, what like, like he fucked all the other constellation yeah. members to go through it. Like what happens when <laughs> you take like very successful space capitalist CEO type who joins the fun science group because he's got nothing else to do. Turns out he it's, might not be trustworthy. It's so, really so, so cool. Wait, could, could, he, could, you, could you go into conflict with him at the end of the game if he wants to go through instead yes. of you? Uh, not, not your Walter. Uh, I don't. Well, actually, maybe it's possible that that's a possibility, and that I just didn't tick the box that made that happen. But you can definitely fight Starborn Walter for sure. Oh my god! Yeah, and like he's an asshole. There was a whole thing of like, I actually realized once I had finished it, and I met one of the Starborn characters in the ending. I realized I had run into him in a bar early in the game. Oh, the hunter. The hunter. Yeah. And it's like that guy reappears multiple times. So I haven't seen like which character the hunter is, yeah. but like I ran into the hunter like at that bar on Atlantis and then also on a killer. And, and then I fought him during the main storyline. Yeah. And I'm like, there's something with this guy. Well, yeah, he'll come up again. He'll yeah. come up a few times. And that's what you sort of realize is the way the game is designed is that like, it sort of gets to a point where you're like, okay, you're very powerful. You've got all the guns, all the ships, whatever. Right. But it means nothing. You're, when you finish the story, you're kind of immortal anyway. Cause you're like, you can die, but the nature of the game almost leans into a meta level of like, you just load an earlier save. You can also just go through the portal. Yeah. So if you find a version of the universe that you don't like, just fucking leave, do a new one. So like, wait, you start wait, to so, realize, so, so can you leave the universe when you join a new one pretty much straight away? Pretty much immediately. So, yeah. you, so, you, so you could kind of like save scum it in a way to, if I wanted, to, for example, to find that weird universe where <laughs> yeah. every character is yourself. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could try and game it to get that. You definitely can. Yeah, people, people have done it. They've worked out. I think I looked online. There's about ten or so unique weird versions. That'd be so where like cool. something in the universe is definitely balked. And, and you know what? Like one of those is that everyone looks like you. And again, mods will add like so There'll many more, more versions of that. Yeah. Or, or like, or, or just like the chance to be more likely and yeah. stuff like that. But it's fascinating because now when you meet the hunter early, like I've been looking for him in the new playthrough and I can't yeah. fucking find the guy. Because he's not in the same spots. He's not in the same spots. And you realize like the game isn't playing on a script. There's no like, if you on day three or whatever, go to this place, you'll meet that guy and this will happen. There are certain events that always occur and those are like plot related. These must happen. Everything else is random. So you end up realizing like I could play through for f 10 days and never find this guy again. Wow. That's insane. I love like, it. Like I know he's in it and I will eventually find him because, and this is what I mean about like, you can almost, almost skip a version of the universe pretty much immediately. When you start New Game Plus, you you lose all of your money, your ship, everything, right? Yeah. But you emerge into the new, new universe in a brand new ship, like what the Starborn have. Yeah. You get a cool suit, you get a cool gun. Like they don't leave you with nothing, but they're like, you should now realize that your your worldly possessions and money are fucking pointless. They don't. None mean, of it matters. They don't actually mean anything. Yeah. And you start to realize if you do this more than once, and you collect all those pieces, and you go through again you start to realize why some of these characters that you're meeting, these Starborn are such assholes because they don't think of you as a person from their perspective. Yeah. You're not alive from their perspective. They are alive. They've, they can, your, your whole universe is a blip for them. Yeah. It's not real. It doesn't matter. Because There's no, there's no consequence for them. For me, that is like peak sci-fi shit. That's like, what happens if you let humans do shit like that? Bad things. I, I love it too. Cause like even thinking about it in terms of game mechanics, <clears throat> that idea of like the hunter not being in the same spot every time. Yeah. Especially because it's a single player, like quote unquote static world. It helps it feel not static. It helps it feel like it's changing and, exactly. li and living and breathing despite what you're trying to do in the world. 
because for a single player game that's like because like it's very easy to do that with multiplayer games because mm. like everyone else is a different human that you're actually interacting with doing that in a single player game i think is really cool yeah i was gonna ask so mum from all of your your sci-fi kind of you know the the oeuvre of the things that you enjoy does that weird you know i guess i don't know what you would call that like re- repeatable universe thing has that come up before is that familiar to you does that feel like a reference to something like the multiverse concept yeah the idea that like at the center of the universe is a doorway that leads to other universes yeah that's really common yeah like there's there's many um there's many book series that that work on the theory even Oh, even um, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Oh, that's that. true. Yeah. They did a multiverse thing. It comes up eventually because everybody says it has to happen. Yeah. You look at the scale of the yeah. universe. There has to be multiple occurrences, right? And Stargate did it. Oh, Stargate did it amazing. Stargate did I it mean, really it, well. It also makes sense that, like, a lot of other, I suppose, sci fi entries, I mean, even, even Marvel, like, at a certain point, mm. it, like, it, when all the stakes are high and everything's happening, they're doing the multiverse parallel universe thing. And it's kind of like, well, if you kind of want to keep doing something different and interesting, it, to me, it feels like the natural path. And what, But if you think about it logically too, right? So if you're talking about a TV series, you've got a set amount of characters hmm. that you're paying X amount of money to. So in order to change up their characters dramatically and to do a dramatically different storyline, mm. the best way to go would be to pop them into another universe. Yep. Because it's the same characters, but they're playing a different version. And then you can do that play, which a lot of them do, particularly Stargate did it very well, where they brought characters back in. So you had two of the same in the same place. Um, there's a lot of controversy of that in the sci-fi world about doesn't something blow up when that happens? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. The, the paradox like, of it. Yeah. yeah, are you allowed to do that? Is that a thing? Or are we all going to die? Or is one of the planets going to blow up because... The person that should be there is on our planet. So they have a lot of fun with that. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's really, it, it gets you thinking about like, okay, well then every action, it's like how does that work? How does that universal variation work? So every action that you do, every time you make a decision, you've created another parallel world. So you go down that path and you stay on this world and then decision B has created another world. So then it starts to blow your there's, mind. I forget what it is, but there's a specific ter- term for that too. Yeah, right? like, yeah. It, like many every every like possibility, that. like every every decision yeah. you could make, yes, like spawns a parallel yeah. universe, right? Um, I don't know if it's like Schrodinger, like if Schrodinger's cat ties into that same theory. Not or that quite, might but be you're on the right track. You're on the like, right track, and quantum physics kind of backs it. By saying, if you think about it, because the concept behind that is, you know, the viewer, the observer makes something happen, mm. right? It does it, does it, it's not there until something observes it or someone observes it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, funnily enough, uh, th- this reminds me of when I did acid for the first time. Oh, yeah, <laughs> big time, big time. And, and uh, uh, I went into like this big uh, kind of like rabbit hole in terms of thinking, being like, nothing actually exists or functions unless it's there to be perceived by someone yeah you and, got it. and, yeah. and in and in this state it was it, it was like it was me right so like unless i'm seeing it and actually like engaging with it soon as it's outside of my sense of scope it actually ceases to exist yeah yeah exactly and that's how when when all those parallel worlds and everything so it's all happening so 
the concept that everything's happening all at the same time is hard to wrap the brain around. Yeah. Because it's like all that multiverse, all those different worlds, everything. So I'm sitting here doing this. There's a version of me out at the pub instead and there's a version of me doing something else. But it's all happening at exactly the same time. And they don't even yeah. have to be that different. There's a version no. of you doing this but yeah. in a different top. Yeah, and just it's that I love it. And when you get these sci- these sci-fi shows trying to give you a little taste of that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And if they get it right, you're like I, I can tell when they've got it right because I'll sit there going, oh, yeah, I accept that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's different because like, if you're trying to use that as something to explore for a show, you could very easily do too much where like, yes. you're, like it, it's um, like you can give too much information or try to do something too quickly where like someone coming in when you're trying to present them context won't get, get everything. Mm. And so you've got to find that balance. But when it's done well, it, it can be done so well. It reminds me actually of another movie. I forget when it came out. I think it was like, mid 2000s but have, it, have either of you seen coherence that rings a bell it rings a bell i think i might have recommended it to you on cj but it, it's a it's a micro budget it was like shot for 50 grand shot on like a canon DS, dslr hell yeah um it's a, but the idea is like so these group of friends are having a dinner party while there's a comet going yes. overhead at the at during that night and what the comet has done is it's kind of opened up doorways for like multiversal different different universes so during this dinner party, whenever someone leaves the house and comes back, it's a different version of them from another universe. <laughs> and so it could be like, all right, yeah. so, and, and like the movie sets up all the different characters be like, okay, this character has some ulterior motives, this character is cheating on their partner, this character just wants everyone to get along and, this, and when everyone yells, they get stressed, all this kind of stuff. So you might have what, like the first half of the movie having one char- character set up as like the calm, sympathetic one they leave and they come back and all of a sudden they're acting like weird and sketch and, mm. and you don't know what's happening and it's because it's a different character it's, it's now a kind of like a shit evil character mm. who's, who's who's like actively trying to bring out the worst in people and it's a whole thing where like people start like labeling, labeling themselves of colors and, 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 and different props to in order to keep track because they start to like mm. try and think what's happening um, and by the end of it, like the characters that end up together after the comic's gone aren't the same characters that course, you started out yeah. with. It's uh, the writing and the performances are, are fucking awesome. It's it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it. I feel like I have. Yeah, I I was gonna say I I definitely have seen it because you recommended it, but I was like I can't think if we've talked about it. No, I don't think we have. Just check it out though, yeah, definitely. I have a look. The I was gonna say it's one thing that annoys the shit out of me is when a character, for reasons of I would say lazy writing, but usually it's just like, it's too hard to explain to the audience. They have a character where something like this happens, right? And I'll give the example of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Gamora, and what's his name? Star-Lord. Oh, yeah. Have this whole thing where he's like, I'm still in love with you, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, bro, I'm not her. And it's like, that should take five seconds to wrap your head around. Yeah. He, He knows for a fact that his Gamora is dead. But he can't, like, he can't get over it. But he, he's like, emotionally, he can't get over it. And I'm like, that annoys the shit out of me when a character is just like, but you are her. You look just like her, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, she has a totally different personality. Like, she's she's literally five years younger. Let's start with that. Oh, my God, yeah. Right? It's stuff like that where you're just like, in, in if, you know, I say if that were real. If Guardians of the Galaxy was real. No, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, in a circumstance like that, I feel like a regular thinking person would very easily be able to go, Oh, I have understood. You are 
a physically exactitude of someone I know, but you are not that person. So you make you make an interesting point, but a lot of the time, the way they play it, because it's been done quite a few times in um, different shows and books, it, it's easy to see it in a show or a movie. Yeah. But it's the human mind going, particularly when there's love involved. It's mm. the human mind going. My logic brain goes. I get it. I have all the evidence. I get it. But it's still hard to actually get past it. But how to get past it. Yeah. Because I want that to be my person. Yeah. I know I will, it's not yeah. my person, but I want it to be my person. And it's really hard to separate it. Mm. Especially yeah. because like physically and visually. It's it's my person. Yeah. And so they yeah. have difficulty. That's the point. They have difficulty showing that in a movie or TV show when physically it is the same person. And so even as a viewer, mm. you're going, logically, I get it. Got, dude, you need to get over it. Um, but emotionally, mm. like, oh, but can't they kind of be that person for them? Like, I get where he's coming from, but it is annoying. Yeah, it's Because annoying. it's very difficult to show, from our point of view, that it's really not, even though it seems obvious. You know what it is? Like, okay, they handled it quite well at the end of Guardians of Galaxy 3 where they were like, they had a little moment where they got to talk about it and she was like, I'll bet we were great. And he was like, yeah, we were. And it's like, that's that's all you needed. Yeah. That was the therapy session finished. That yeah. should have happened an hour and a half ago. Uh, see, that like, I agree with. That would have but handled they, they, it But they better. needed the wait to have that at the end of the Exactly, movie. exactly. Yeah. For, for narrative purpose and for tension and blah, blah, blah. But I just find that like, I've seen it, like that was probably the best handled version of that. But, like, I've seen other versions of this same thing play out in other media and it, like, almost always is so stupid. And they're like, but you are her. How could you not be? Blah, blah, blah. And the person is like, I am objectively not that person. Like, I, we're clearly having an issue here. You must be able to see that I'm not. And when they, yeah. when they stretch that, the emotional struggle, totally. You know what it but reminds me But the literal me struggle, of? I'm like, you're either stupid or you are being willfully ignorant that you think this is your ex. Like, come on. It reminds me of Oblivion. Yeah. Oh, the Tom Cruise movie? The Tom Cruise yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because, like, it's it's Tom Cruise and he's these different characters and... Man, I haven't seen that since it came out. But that, yeah, because he runs into other versions of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, it's shocking because... You know, the way the story is designed is he thinks he's alone with yeah. his, his female partner and the whole planet, they're it, right? And yeah. then there's another version of him. Yep. And, of course, you know, it gets to the point in the movie where the original one you're invested in, the original character dies, and then his replacement character comes to find the original female partner. And it's like, so it's the same kind of concept, but mm. in that case, she accepted him. Yeah, knew he wasn't the original, but decided. Yeah, I'm I'm with him anyway. It's really interesting. I mean, I mean stuff like that too. Like when you have the reveal of like the yeah, other versions yeah. of himself, like when you play that out in like the piece of media, it's always like like that, that sense that like that that pin drop moment, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like oh shit, like something like something's happened that means like everything is not quite what it seems. Funnily enough, that one actually reminds me of another movie, not quite like. Um, as like cosmic sci-fi or universal sci-fi, but um, there was one that came out on Netflix recently. They cloned Tyrone. Oh, that's so good! I haven't watched it yet. It's really, it's, it's really, really, quite really good. good. Uh, should we do full spoilers for they cloned Tyrone? Yeah, go on, go on. All right, full, full, full spoiler warning. Like right near the start. <laughs> Sorry, mum. It's okay. I can live with it. Right near the start. Now of I have movie, to watch it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this won't like ruin the experience. It's still worth watching. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, 
uh, I forget. Oh, I forget the actor's name. Like the main character. Um, oh, so um, would you would you be able to help me out here? What's his name from bloody from Star, Star Wars? Wars? Uh, no, I can't remember it. Anyway, so his his character uh, dies like twenty minutes into the movie. Like he he gets shot through like a drug deal gone wrong. Yeah, uh, and then he wakes up miraculously all all, all of a sudden, and you realize he's been cloned. Yeah, and so this new version of him that wakes up is a clone that's been put in his place. And then that has effects of like, because he's going through his day, he's interacting with people. He's interacting with the people who like knew that he got shot and died. And it's like, what like the watched f- him? Yeah. yeah, like watched him die. It's like, what the fuck? How are you alive and walking around right now? Yeah. Um, like, it's not just like, oh, you disappeared and came back a bit weird. It's no, like, you, no, you, I literally watched you die. Yeah. What is going it's, on uh, here? And it's John Boyega. Yeah, that's it. And so it goes through. And so. He's a clone. He's not the original. Uh, you you work out like the the original one that you saw die was most likely also a clone, um, and they're they're trying to fight up and ri- and rise against and trying to work work out what's happening. But then you you find out like a lot of the other like side characters with him, most likely, and a couple of them are confirmed also clones. Uh. Um, and the, and the way the plot goes is like he, he he confronts what is what we're told in the movie is the original him, who's like. I don't know, 50 years older because yeah. the program's been going for that long. But even then, I don't think it's actually like, is that yeah. the guy or not? Because then, the, then there's also like another like plot twist, to, plot twist reveal, all this kind of stuff. But it's very interesting when you have this stuff where you're like, you invested in the characters, but the specific character that you're following, like they could die at any moment and you, and you go with another clone, another version of that character, but then you're kind of expected to keep going on that investment in like the story. Still yes. be emotional. Yes. It feels a little yeah. bit Rick and Morty. Yeah. We're like, I can't remember the exact math on this. There's people on the internet who have mapped this all out. But by the current or most recent episode of Rick and Morty, our the Rick that we're following is the only character who is the original Rick from the first episode. Yeah. Every other character has died or been replaced. Yeah, or in, from a in, different including multiverse. all of his family. Yeah. And, and, and the Morty as well. Yeah. There's like a whole... Somebody did the math on Jerry... Okay, so in the most recent season, they confirmed that the Jerry that they've been hanging out with is not the original Jerry. Yeah. And it was like a weird gag from like four seasons ago that may or may where, not where have they, changed the Jerry. Where they accidentally just swapped it in that Jerry daycare. In the, Jer- in the Jerry Barry, yeah. So they end up with this weird thing of like, the fans took that and ran with it online for like two years in different seasons and were like, that's not the same Jerry. We know it's not the same Jerry. But the show just ignored it and was like, you're wrong. It was a funny gag. It's the Jerry. But, but it, then in the, the most recent season, they were like, no, you're right. Season two Jerry has been living in a different world with a different family this whole time. And, and then and then they went back to season two Jerry and when they went back to him, he fucking died. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. But it's that like idea of like, you all, it almost doesn't matter. Like there's an ethical question there, a philosophical well, question. Well, I mean like Rick and Morty is, is doing its own thing where the whole point of it is it doesn't matter. Just yeah, that's, kind of, that's kind of, that, uh, what do they call it? It's, nihilism. Um, it's me- metamodernism. Yeah. So it's, it's postmodernism is that nothing has meaning. Yeah. So mo- modernism is everything has meaning if you give it meaning. Postmodernism is nothing is nothing has meaning. All meaning is created, right? And then metamodernism is nothing has meaning which is meaningful. Yeah. That's what Rick and Morty is trying to do. It's trying to be like nothing makes sense. Everything is pointless. Nihilism. But you can give these things emotional investment and meaning if you choose to. So just yeah, because it's, it's kind of like like your your choice on it, or your investment in it, is what makes it meaningful to you. Exactly, it's that's, almost the that's quantum exactly physics thing. Exactly right. It's your choice, right? And if the character's well written, and you suddenly got a new version, if yeah. it's well written, you kind of wanna keep investing. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, because if if you don't, if you're watching and they've tried to get you to invest in the new version and everything in you goes, yeah, no, nah, you've lost me. Yeah. Well, they blew it. You know, the writer's got it wrong. Yeah. They have it a little bit with Starfield where you can romance a character. And so let's say you finish your first playthrough mm. and your one of your companions is like your partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, right? When you go through the portal and start again, you can find that same character, but they are not your ex. Like they are not the character that you romanced previously, but you can instigate a conversation with them to find out how that's going to play out. And I was like, that's genius. Because when you're Wait, creating that- Oh, I see. Yeah, Like yeah. If, you're, if you're writing that out- you're like, is the player interested in that companion in a way that means that like they would like to just ignore that it's a new universe and just keep romancing that character? Because they're like, we don't want to break the enjoyment of what they're playing. We want them to keep role playing and having fun with it, right? But then there's that. But they need to introduce the thing for, of like. There's that question of like, well, for that character, what does it mean for them? Yeah. If all of a sudden like this this person coming in, kind of like I don't know, speed running the romance for like a better term. It's oh that's yeah it's, it's so really weird. well handled because it's that idea that like yeah if if you know it's like you were saying the emotional investment the meaning that you give it yeah. that has power that has weight there's something important about that yeah exactly you know and as as the you know it is a single player game so it's not multiplayer we're not worried about what other players are doing so they're kind of like for you personally if you wanted to skip that and and but like they're like you can't just skip it skip it you're gonna have to have a weird awkward dialogue moment with that character that's gonna be uncomfortable for you. But if you can get past that, you can you can make it happen. It's so interesting. I love too that like, I mean, there was a point too. I forget who said it. It might have been Phil Spencer when he was talking about Starfield in an interview as well. But he was saying like, like when you beat the main story is only when the game starts to actually open up. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. And, and like knowing this, I'm like, yeah, this makes total complete sense. Yeah. And like the fact that like you know you're replaying it, but all the new content too. But all the new content acknowledging exactly the past content and yeah. how it feeds into what you're doing now, which is what I was saying. Like it's really rare. I don't think I've ever seen this from a new game plus ever. They almost always, like I say, almost always. I don't know of any of the other example like Starfield where a new game plus is a continuation of your story. You're not starting from scratch. You as the player and your dialogue yeah. options change because you have actually started again. Yeah, it's actually it's narrative. actually like your previous playthrough is kind of like in canon. It's canon, yeah. Right? Whereas most new game pluses, you you might get to keep the level ups and be powerful, but the story doesn't acknowledge any of that. The story pretends that you're starting for the first time. Whereas in Starfield, they're like, how many times have you done this? And you can meet um, Starborns that will ask you, like, is this your first trip or your fifth or eighth or what? Oh and you're God. like, oh my God. And one of them's like, this is my 80th. And you're like, good God. But, but like that, but that's awesome. I love that. I it's really cool. And and to be honest, like like doing it at eighty times in Starfield, I'm like, well, if I just keep playing the game, I probably yeah. will. I feel like it's we sort of touched on it a little bit when we we're like this this bizarre. I say bizarre. It's fully capitalist logical creation of every game needs to be a game as a service now, right? It's monetizable. We want you paying a monthly subscription. We don't want you to buy the game one off. We want you to pay us every single week, every single month, whatever, right? It's everywhere, and I'm like. This seems to be a really logical, fun, story-driven way to answer that. Yeah. Without having to charge you every month, you can keep playing Starfield forever. And when we sell DLC, we're going to release a brand new whatever, you don't have to start the game again. You might just need to skip to the portal for your current playthrough. Yeah. But maybe not. But that's not an issue because that doesn't break anything. That's part of the narrative. I was like, that's fucking genius. So you, you know what this makes me think of as well? Because there was a lot... So there was a lot of... You know, gamers and reviewers coming out of like their take on Starfield and if it's a good game. Yeah. And like 
you know, I, th- I think reviewers got sent a copy like two weeks before it released. So they had two weeks to play as much of it as they could. And then, hard, yeah. And then like give the game a review. Don't know how many might have been able to actually finish the main storyline and see what it's doing or yeah. all that kind of stuff. Because there was a lot of discussion of like, uh, or a lot of people saying like when you play the game, uh, as you're starting off and learning the game, it doesn't hold your hand and it's very hard to get into. Mm. But as you keep playing it and as the game opens itself up more to you, it gets better and better. Yeah. And I can totally see too of like this, like in terms of like the long-term, like long-running gameplay of like repeating and how that effect works into each other and, and all that larger grand scale stuff, that really is where it stands out, right? Yeah. Like that, that's the uniqueness of the game and where it, re- it really shines. It's really rare for me, for example, to to replay a game from scratch again. I will usually do a new game plus something like that. But with Starfield, it's like, I don't need to worry about that. I can put it down and not touch it for six months and then pick it up and just keep playing. You know what? My story will always be current. It's actually very clever. Yeah. You know, they've actually yeah. solved another problem with doing that too. We're like, yeah, uh, so whenever I play Fallout or Skyrim, and I've been playing for ages, and I'm a level 50 plus character, and I and then I put the game down and I come back six months to like continue replay, and I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck yeah, I was you've doing. you've like forgotten how to play. Yeah. Right. This one's very easy. We're like, okay, well, I've forgotten what I'm doing. I'll just go into a new universe. Yeah. And then I'm and then I'm good and I'm done and like let's go. Yeah, <laughs> like that that to me is 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 perfect because now I can keep going with that character and just start afresh and keep going and see what happens. Yeah, it's really cool too because I will give you this one: when you go through the first time, I think it must happen every time, unless you get one of the broken ones, uh, in which case it'll find a way to shove you through to a new one. But the there's a choice when you first get to New Atlantis. Um, and it basically asks you through like a very easy dialogue thing, but it's really clear what's happening. It's like, do you want to do the story again? Or do you want to skip that and tell them that you're starborn and that you know all the answers? Because that way you can if do you whatever wanted, you want. Exactly. If you wanted to start from scratch and play it like it's the first time you've played it, you can do that. You don't then, have oh, to skip it. So that would, that would be interesting too, if you're collecting all of them and building the armillary, and then you run into the hunter of a starborn, but like you are doing it for the second time. You can choose which dialogue to use and like, do you want to tip your hat that this is your second trip or do you want to pretend like it's your first again? And maybe that's like an underhanded way to get an advantage. That's really Because if they think that you're not Starborn and you actually are, oh, hey, look out. Oh, oh my God, it's so cool. It's, it's a really fascinating, like the replayability issue and like this idea of, yeah, games as a service and monetizing these things, it really does piss me off because- and I'm I'm guilty of this. I still play Destiny Two ad nauseum. I'm playing Marvel Snap, like right. S- like I've been playing it for like a year. And I'm not stopping. Yeah, but like I refuse to buy the microtransactions. I just I fucking hate it. I'm like, if I'm gonna pay 150 bucks to play this game for 12 months, and really what I'm paying for is like I'm doing air quotes, but like a season pass. What the fuck is a season pass? They make it up. They've, yeah. They've like last year it was four three month brackets. Next year it's three four month brackets or whatever, right? Like and, they'll, and they'll charge you like through the nose for it. Yeah, totally arbitrary. But it's like on top of that, you're going to sell me in-game currency for real money that I can buy weapon skins and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you took my money already. I've already paid for this de- game. Because Destiny, you have to buy the base game as well, don't you? Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. I, should, I should clarify this. Don't want to get eaten alive in the comments. There is a version of Destiny 2 that is free to play. Okay. But it only includes up to the second most recent expansion pack. Okay. So what they've effectively done is it's it's crack. They're like, you can have the first one for free, right? Yeah. You can start playing Destiny 2 for no no cost at all. You can play it on any platform you want. Get into it, have fun, see what happens. 
Two weeks later, you're going to be sitting there sniffing your nose and going like, have you got any more? Where can I get more? <laughs> then now you've got to pay. If you want to do the good end game content, the current end game content, yep. with, you know, people like me who play regularly, you're going to need to spend real money. And they start, that's how they get you is like, they know it's fun. Like the whole Bungie makes the game. Their whole philosophy is five seconds of fun. If you can make that and then repeat it, you've got a million dollar game. That's yep. all they had to do. Starfield, I think, tackles that in in a similar but different way in that like, they still have that five seconds of fun and they repeat it ad nauseum, but they don't They don't need to be doing that microtransactional type thing to keep you invested. Yep. The narrative is already keeping you invested and coming back. And, and the community is building those mods to keep you coming and, back. And, and again, too, like there's, there's so many different gameplay mechanics within the game yeah. that you can choose to engage with or not. Like if you want to do outposts or if you if you want to just do like space exploration and like survey planets yeah. or, or if you just want to be a pirate and kill people. Which I, I the surveying thing I love, right? Um, I, I, so mum you, you've been watching Star Trek Lower Decks yeah, yeah yeah. so there's okay so if you're not familiar Lower Decks is an animated series that ties into Star Trek canon and because it's animated they get to do some really wacky fucking stupid shit and it's a lot of fun stuff that would be either very expensive or hard to do in live action so there's you know multiple sorts of weird things in Star Trek that have only ever appeared once on TV because it was very expensive and it's not coming back Lower Decks can do whatever they want right they had a moment in one of the most recent episodes where these two characters are fighting and one of them, uh, they're both they are both sisters and they're from a species called Orions who are space pirates. And it's been a running gag for like 50 years of Star Trek history that all the Orions are pirates and that's all they do. Yep. It's not possible that an entire spacefaring society is all pirates. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> they must have doctors. They must have school teachers, right? So Lower Decks got to explore that a little bit and they basically... They were like, one of them uh, is one of the crew members of the ship and she like left Orion to go and join Starfleet and be a science officer. And it turns out she's been trained as an assassin from birth. That's her actual like job. Fuck she was, yes, she I was love that. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so they're having this massive fight. It's really cool. And her sister is like, why Why did you run away to be Starfleet? Like, why do you, what is your obsession with scanning everything? And she's like, <laughs> to learn stuff. I was like, what a hilarious and yet obvious thing. 90% of people who leave Earth to go and travel space are doing it because they want to learn shit. Yeah, yeah. They're just nerds. Yeah, you know, it's funny, what, right. uh, doing the pirate um, storyline in, in Starfield, when I went with the UC and, and like, you know, you killed this guy, blah, blah, blah. We're going we're gonna to incentivize you to help us by paying you money for everything you give us. Yeah, you're clearly motivated by cash. And then, and then when I actually sided with the pirates and I'm fighting against the UC and then like the main UC commander like confronts me and be like, why did you do it? I'm like, because I wanted to be rich. Yeah. And then he's like, the answer is so obvious. It's infuriating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is that, it's that like you could play a hundred hours of Starfield and have no combat. And all you're doing is scanning planets and building outposts and just having a fun exploration. You could do yeah, that. You can have that just totally like relaxing, just ex exploring game, right? Yeah. You don't have to, if you want, you can just avoid combat. Yeah. I mean, There's a whole skill tree just for scanning planets. Yeah. And it like, every time you scan when you're improving the ability and blah, 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 like, 100% you could level up to level 50 and never kill a single person. It's awesome. It's fascinating that like, it, you can tell like, what you're talking about, like Todd Howard's kind of like dream and vision for this thing. In a lot of ways, it feels like he needed technology to catch up to what he was trying kind, to do. Kind, kind of like with um, uh, what, oh, now I'm blanking on the name, John Cameron, the guy who did Avatar. James Cameron. James yeah. Cameron. Yeah. John John's Cameron. his brother. No, James, James <laughs> Cameron. Yeah. yeah, James Cameron like waiting for the technology to be able to do like what he was envisioning yeah. with, with those movies, right? 
It's it's awesome. I mean, it's it's another thing too because like you know this is a unique episode where it's not like a movie and game pairing, but like Starfield in its roots, you can see has like inspirations from Everything. from like literally any kind of yeah. sci-fi media. Like no, like no. It, like even like. I mean, you're talking about it too, like like the common themes of like a lot of the old, like older books and entries and stuff like that too. Like even going back to 2001: yeah. Space Odyssey, like pretty much anything you can think of that dives into sci-fi or space exploration or like anything in between, like Starfield kind of like takes bits and parts from all of it. Yeah, they hand wave a couple of things that are like very classic sci-fi. We have to hand wave this, so like. Anti-gravity exists in some form. It must because you have gravity on your ship always. Yeah. When you are in your cockpit, there is an up and a down and a left and a right. Yeah. You don't float through your ship. However, low gravity exists and planets with lower gravity, you jump higher. So yeah, on I, the ship, I, I will destroy another ship, dock of them, go in and all the bodies are like floating in the air. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're kind of like thrusting and, and moving yourself around. So you're like, when the ship is functional, there is some sort of anti-gravity tech and we never get into that. Because if we did, it fundamentally breaks the whole universe. If humans had mastered anti-gravity at any point leading up to this, the technology in the game is woefully out of date. Yeah. Like the ability to manipulate gravity like that would fundamentally shift everything. It's like Star Trek where like, you know, okay, one of my fun little things that happens with Star Trek, why is it that all, this this has come over before, why is it that all the ships are always the right way up when they find each other? (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah, because because in this space, there could be any any like, angle, any shape, whatever. Right? Yeah, it's absurd that they warp to a planet to find something, and the enemy ships are the exact same orientation. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and Starfield, they don't do that. They're yeah. like, yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. When you warp into a planet, the ships are all over the place doing all sorts of weird shit. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what like, I just remembered? Yeah, go on. Um, when you talk about gravity drive, yeah, Interstellar, yeah. So when they were trying to put together their generational ship to leave the Earth, yeah, and that was the last remaining issue that they had because that was the only way they were going to be able to not take forever yeah. to get where they needed to go. Well, it wasn't just that. If you remember, it was that they, they couldn't generate enough lift to yeah. leave the planet yeah. without some ability to manipulate gravity. Yeah. So it was like we're literally stuck here unless we solve this specific problem. Yeah. Because the way they did that was very fascinating. Interstellar yeah. is is a phenomenal movie. I mean, the, really the, the other one too is like how they um, visually depicted the black hole. Oh, incredible! Yeah, because they, they, I, 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 I could be wrong, but I think they used Unreal Engine for that. Well, they put in all the math and all the equations because they had like the specific experts uh, and mathematicians who would look at it, plug it into the engine, it spat out that image. And they had that like horizontal thing to it. And when they first looked at it, it was like, that doesn't make any sense. But then when they showed it out to the mathematician, they were like, of course it would do that. Like of it makes total sense. And and then they they just did that like huge render for the movie. I mean, a lot of the behind the scenes in that movie in particular is, yeah. is so fascinating. Not just that. That was the first time there had been a scientifically accurate rendition of a black hole. Yeah, we'd never actually seen one yet. They proved that it was accurate nearly five or six years later when we actually did get an image of a black hole and it matches. They're like, that's insane. That we are so good at math as a species that we can predict. What an what a five dimensional I mean, object would look like. That's insane. And, and the fact that like you know our first like render of that is for like a fictional movie. movie. But isn't this the, okay? We've talked about this. before. Yeah, we've talked. Well, about it's it. like science fiction. Science right? fiction. Like I I remember like going back as a kid, right, discovering sci fi for the first time and going, it just blew my mind. And 
I, over the years, have often said to people, science fiction is just about what's not science fact just yet. Yeah. That's it. That's all it is. Like, because if they've thought of it, we've done it. And the more we think about, the more somebody somewhere is going, there has to be a way to do that. Yep. I'm going to figure out how to do that. Oh, and like I always yeah. talked about things like in the early sci-fi movies and TV shows where you would have some kind of device on your wrist and that would allow you to communicate with other people. Yep. I mean, that's just a given now. Yeah. And then when they had phones well, 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 like, where you like could see chat, each other. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, video chat. And it was like... That just, you know, the first time we sort of saw that for real, it was like, oh, yeah, of course we do that. I think like, there's a lot of, like, uh, I mean, even if, you, again, looking in 2001 from, like, 1968, that has a lot of stuff where at the time would be, like, hugely futuristic. Now it's part of our lives, like video chat being one of them. But even, like, old articles of, like, people in the 40s and the 50s theorising that one day yeah. we'd have, like, a super powerful computer just yeah. in our pockets that would be able to connect with anyone in the world instantly and like, yeah, that, that's just that's just day-to-day stuff that we take as a given now. It's an interesting point to, especially with something like 2001, right, where when it came out, it was insane yeah. how futuristic and wild and sci-fi it was. But by the way, first time I saw that movie was like like on a 70 millimeter film print, Ooh, like yeah. at the Asta, like in a cinema. Hell yeah. Like, like I want to, like that's the kind of movie like a cinema or in IMAX, like really like, <laughs> like, like shows like what it was doing. Yeah. When, yeah. when, when I pitch films and we talk about with a lot of distributors and, and, and other creatives, we talk about like, is it cinematic? That's what we mean. Yeah. When people are asking, is it cinematic? Yeah. They don't mean like, are you going to make it like a movie? No, 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 no. They're talking about, is this something that I'm going to sit in a seat in a cinema and my fucking head is going to be blown off by how good this is? And yeah. See, that's, that's why, cinematic. like as an audience member, we've often had the conversation where CJ and I would say, is that cinema worthy? Yeah. Do I want to go to the movies to see it? Yeah. Because it's actually cinema worthy. And then he takes it the next step and says, is it IMAX worthy? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's like... It's different levels, but like yeah. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say okay. This is like I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit here, but like the, one of the first things I saw at IMAX was Mission to Mir, and I it was it's a documentary, and it was made specifically for IMAX. So I don't think it ever got released anywhere else, and it shows the shuttle launching uh, from Cape Canaveral all the way up to the Mir space station. Oh wow! And I sat in like the middle of the IMAX. So like you've been, you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. But for like for people who aren't aware. It's imagine like a small stadium style seating thing, right? And you're looking at a screen that is so big, you physically have to move your neck to look up and down at how big the screen is, right? And the sound is so yeah, impressive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's designed to just encapsulate exactly. your entire surroundings. Yeah. When we talk about like immersive, this is fucking immersive. So I'm sitting there watching a rocket take off and it's like I where I'm looking at is the bottom of the rocket where the fucking explosions are happening and the seats are shaking and it's like, holy shit. That has such an effect as an audience member, you are enthralled by that. It is crazy. That's like that's like what VR is trying to encapsulate as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're not there yet, but my God, we're getting close. Yeah. But no, my point was like when you when we when we now, someone who is younger than us, let's say like, I don't know, somebody turns 18 and they've decided that they keep hearing about these famous sci-fi movies and they really want to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's still a fantastic movie, but it literally will not be as impactful because a lot of the tech that is displayed is just day-to-day, par-for-the-course type stuff. There's no wow factor in a video chat because they're like, well, duh. Of yeah. course they use video chat. When that movie came out, 
that wasn't a thing that existed. No. You couldn't do that. that that'd be blowing people's minds into yeah. audience. Yeah. And so if you think about um, like a, showing something now, like you're talking about, like Lost in Space, the original Lost in Space. Yeah. Oh, hell Cause, yeah. Because there was a Netflix remake for that too. Yeah, which yeah. I loved. I, I watched the first season. I really, I haven't seen the, the newer one, but I was I, really I enjoying really it. enjoyed it. And I was a fan of the first one. And I was only a kid myself then. But when you look, like they had robots and they had – aliens and they had strange planets and all this stuff was happening it looked really real and scary and oh my god there's all these amazing things going on and then if you watched it now or you try to introduce it yeah. to a generation now they'd be they could see that they're just cardboard cutouts yeah yeah just, oh, yeah i mean know. i mean the same thing if you go for like classic doctor who oh, right yeah. exactly. where you, can, you can clearly see it's people like in a costume yeah but, like, yeah like there's, there's still like a charm to it. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think there really is. The and Daleks ray gun is a fucking whisk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. a whisk and a plunger. Like yeah. that's like that's 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 this amazing. Is great. Right? Brilliant. Yeah. And what I loved about like the the new Doctor Who, and I just love David Tennant. I just have to throw that oh, in. Oh yeah, he's coming back. Oh my god, I just love him so much. And his <laughs> series of Doctor Who was just my favorite. But when they introduced the Daleks again, and they kept a lot of those original yeah. concepts about it. I loved it. Yeah, like they were like, we're going to make it high def and yeah. give it a coat of paint, yeah. but, but it's still a fucking whisk and a plunger. Well, because because yeah. like, well, that's what Doctor Who is, right? Like, yeah. it's, yeah. it's yeah. the identity of it's the identity of it. It's leading into that, like, okay, well, it's it was low budget. Yeah, B-grade. yeah, yeah. We're still going to keep that because that's the essence of what we're doing. Yeah, and it works. It would have been, I don't know, maybe like soulless or something for them to just be like, okay, this is actually a good one. Talking about um, uh, Lost in Space. Yeah, you may remember there is a middle product as well there is the original lost in space there is the netflix remake tv show there was in fact another movie in the 90s i did watch that and joey from friends is fucking in it and Wait, it was, what it's his yes. big crack at being an action star and yes. it did not go well oh, oh my it, God. it wasn't a big hit it was not a big hit i watched it as a fan mm-hmm. and i was like it was fun yeah but it was like, fun but it was kind of like yeah. i went Oh, I kind of feel like you missed the mark. Yeah, it was a meant bit. to launch his career as like an oh, action I didn't star. Know that. There yeah, you go. is this is this the nineteen ninety eight one? Nineteen ninety eight. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I, I loved. it. I thought it was great, but it was like Gary even, Oldman and William Hurt. That's right. Oh yeah, big names. Yeah, my god, it is. It is wild because it is, it is good. It is good. But it it's on binge. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> it it yeah, didn't. Yeah. It didn't manage to leverage no. what Doctor Who did, where it took something that had nostalgia and it had heart to it it had something that you were willing to look past as an audience because of what it represented and what it meant yeah this was like we're going to take the brand we're going to remake it with incredibly high budget and big actors and yeah. we're just going to let it rip and the thing is it's a fun I mean, little action romp but that, it, it lacks all of the heart and soul of why lost I in space was that's, that's kind of what happens with a lot of like you know hollywood throwing money to like recapitalize on something yeah i mean i mean disney does this a lot with the live action stuff where like they're just trying to like rehash it in this bigger grandiose thing but not actually necessarily understanding or utilizing yeah. what made the original thing interesting in the first place. Yeah. Well, it's like when they did, um, how, how they managed to do that was the first episode of the new Doctor Who. And, you know, with, we, uh, with Christopher Elkston. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they did it um, with mannequins. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, that kept the soul of the original Doctor Who. Yeah. They brought it forward into our time, but they managed to keep that nostalgia and they made it work. Yeah. And what's her name that plays um, 
Billy Piper. Billy Piper. Yeah. I loved her character. I mean, that whole storyline in Doctor Who. Um, I mean, that fed into what we were talking about earlier of like each choice creating like a different yeah. version yeah, of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I, with Billy Piper's character and then Donna as well with David Tennant, they, with the, I mean, especially the episode of Left Turn where like all these different mm. choices would lead to all these different outcomes and how yeah. that led into like the Doctor Who storyline specifically. Like it's in, it's endlessly fascinating. Endlessly. Mm. I do like that Doctor Who gets away with a lot of that. And I can't remember, it must've been Tennant's one that did it. Um, or it might've been Matt Smith, but coined that like timey wimey wibbly wobbly as their way of explaining that, that, why. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was, uh, I think that was David Tennant in like the first Weeping Angels episode. Yeah. And it's where, like, where like, it was one where like, it was a, it was a bottle episode yeah. featuring like a new character you didn't, you, that isn't in it. Where then like David Tennant is like talking to them every now and then. And he just coins that. Yeah. Cause you, you, for them to explain weird plot discrepancies yeah. and because he literally goes through time and surely that's going to cause some issues. And it's like, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. Timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly. It all makes sense in the <laughs> end. And I like that because it kind of fits with that multiversal concept of like, yeah, you're making these different choices and different things are happening, but you don't know if you go a thousand years into the future, you have no idea what other choices were happening. And, you know, maybe you think you've set off something immense, but actually a week after you left to the future, someone undid that through a different choice. And now this is happening. You know, it's interesting. I mean, this is now a tangent about Doctor Who specifically, but um, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who, like, storyline a lot of people complained about it because the writing was really bad but what they were (laughs) yeah writing really bad and like really changing the fundamental law behind what doctor who is yeah that fucked off a lot of people yeah i could kind of see too though like thinking about in a sense of like you know i'm I'm, I'm just fan theorizing here but take the starfield idea of like you know uh repeating universes all this kind of stuff it would be interesting if if like that was some kind of justification for what they did with like i'm sure they were building like the doctor is every time lord or something like that yeah yeah because i i I watched jodie and i i mean i love her as a actor the material she was given to work with was was not great. It was not great material. No. And and I'm like I think that's why they're bringing back Russell T Davies. They are, yeah, yeah, they have to because I'm I'm watching each series of hers and I'm just like I'm not happy. I spent a lot of time it's also, being not happy. It's also like like they had three companion characters. Yeah. None of which were like fully fleshed out, and like I don't. That was the issue. Yeah, they you weren't got three interesting of them, and enough. None of them were enough to carry anything. It was yeah. like I don't care. Whereas, like, yeah, Billy Piper. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Who played the boyfriend? Yeah. He was fucking great. I'd watch just him as a companion. He yeah. was great. And you're like, they managed to have multiple companions. People came and went. Cameos from people. There was a whole spinoff with one of the guys. Like. Crazy stuff. And then I'm like, I don't even remember the names of those three. They just companions. lost the plot, and it's so sad because. It's kind of like, you, where are you going with this? Mm. And it's, why is the character, why is this Doctor Who not my beloved character? Yeah. That's what really got it's, to it's me. It's one of those things where I really hope where like the, where like with the new season of Doctor Who, because they're bringing back David Tennant and yeah. then um, Chuti Gatwa is going to be the new Doctor as well. And yep. with, with Russell T. Davis, I really hope that they kind of like uh, rework it and justify it so that like, okay, that happened. We can ignore most of it, but like, Here's how, like, we kind of need to acknowledge it mm. for things to make sense moving forward. Well, I gather that's why Tennant is coming back for this three. It's only three episodes. Yeah. And it's specifically to bridge that gap and to have given them time to develop what they want to do with the new Doctor and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's it, it's one of those, like, I don't know, man. When, when you have a franchise that's worth that much money and has that much, like, it's like Star Wars. Like, anytime somebody's going to touch that in any way, you're going to piss off fans of some degree, right? Like yeah. someone is invested in something and blah, blah, blah. You can't win. I, for my money, 
I wouldn't want to be playing in those established universes. I would rather do what Todd Howard has done with Starfield and be like, create a new one and like take the bits that you like from everywhere. You know, take the weird machine from Contact. Take the concept of these wormholes from Stargate. Take this from Star Trek. Take that from Star Wars. Bingo, bingo. You've got something new and fun and fresh. It's interesting too, right? Because it's such a risk in on every part of like creative and financial and like and like marketing and trying to sell it. But in terms of what they have achieved with Starfield, it feels like they really have hit the mark. Oh yeah, you they've know? hit it out of the park. Man. And the, the, like it's it's kind of astounding there's that a, they've there's managed a, to do it. There's a parallel universe where Starfield did not release well yeah. and, and is bombing horrifically and it's it's a total tragedy. And well, there's a parallel universe too where the original one, the 10th planet from the 1990s, did do well. Yeah. And that's the one that really carried the games industry. Yeah. Right? So you end up like, with like, you know, it is lightning in a bottle and it's kind of, okay, it's insane that one company, Bethesda, has made like four or five stellar games. Just amazing. The fact that their track record is so, uh, like, they haven't yeah. really missed, right? So you have to imagine, right? That's or, may, or maybe Fallout uh, 76. Everybody fucks up once or twice. No, <laughs> That's but, like, fine. <laughs> but like, even then, it ended up pretty good. It's okay, right? But I love this idea that, that you know, we know this from both games and film, and you would know this, Mum, from like IT and all, you know, this, you know, all your background, but like, there must have been a dozen ideas that were as fun on paper as Starfield and didn't go. Oh, there's always so many ideas. Right? I mean, I mean, we noticed just from like, you know, coming up with, with design docs for games and stuff. Yeah. There's always so many ideas that like on paper look great. Yeah. But as soon as you actually start to like flesh it out and prototype and play test, it, it'll fall down yeah. in like, like all kinds of different areas, areas that aren't obvious. Like as soon as you start to explore one thing, it's like, okay, oh, but wait, hang on. We need to account for this thing or this other thing where like uh, the way it would kind of like branch out in terms of like what you actually need to do in order to make the original simple idea function and work the way you wanted it to can fall apart in so many different yeah. ways, can increase in scope and scale and budget in so many different ways. Like it's always... You, you you will never always actually know until you yeah. uh, unless you specifically like have a team of experts in different areas like fully mapping it out to be like here's all the different things you need to account for and what and what that looks like. Yeah. Do you know what the trick is? Of course, in any of this sort of development, is to actually be able to identify that decision point mm, where yeah. you go. This is not going to work. Yep. This is what we envisage. Like your different stories and versions. Yeah. This is what we envisage, but given all our expert input, uh oh. And it's, it's also the kind of thing too, where like there'll be plenty of companies that like will see like we don't really care creatively or functionally if it falls down in some areas, but if the forecast shows it'll make money, yeah, yeah they do it anyway. Right? Done. Unfortunately, that's very true. Like, it's a, that's their risk matrix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Can we make money out of this? Then don't worry about the rest. Because the there's, there's going to be so many places that, like they don't care about the quality of the product. It, the only factor is will it sell? Yeah, like that's actually Todd Howard's genius is not that he came up with Starfield. It's that he must have said no to a hundred dozen things that are not in Starfield and we will never know that they're not in Starfield and that is why the game is good. Well, that's also the other thing too. Is like he's, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's all him. He is the director of the company, but there's, uh, there's surely a lot of other major stakeholders and in, input from other people, yeah. people involved. But building up Bethesda as a game studio and having that, that um, history of success, yeah, that is that that like helps get rid of that financial risk for Starfield. Yeah, they have that proven success, yeah. so that they can see like no, like now we want to do this. We have the track record that we know you that can take what a big risk. that what we do will do well. Yeah, I find it interesting that I'm I'm not a gamer, right? But I've heard of Bethesda. 
Yeah. Like I, I know about the company. Yeah. And you've mentioned all these different games that they've made and I've heard about them. Yeah. And anything I know in detail, of course, has come from CJ who's told me about this fabulous game and everything. But it's interesting that as someone sort of on the periphery that they're known to me. Yeah. You know, I find that I mean, it's another thing too. Like, like, like I, w- I would assume you've heard of Fortnite and, yeah, and, exactly. and like Epic Games behind them, right? Yeah, and you yeah and exactly. You and you would have heard of like Minecraft and Among Us yes. and these games. Because it's part of our culture. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't watch reality TV, but unfortunately I probably know a lot of what's going on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's all around I me. I mean, that's also part of why like, you know, the, the point earlier of like the games industry being so much bigger than so many other creative mm. entertainment industries. Yeah, it's just there. It's just out there. It's so ever-present that like people are aware of it even yeah. if they don't necessarily play games. And, and you know, yeah. you know what's happening when you're watching a TV show and they reference a game. Yeah. That's a real game that's come out you know, six months ago. It's always it's always fun for me when I'm watching a movie or a TV show and I have a, and I have a game in it, and I can basically tell if it's a real game or, yeah. the, or if it's something they've mocked up just for that scene yeah, and yeah, thing to work yeah. for like the, the yeah. plot narrative or whatever. Because often it's easier and cheaper to do that. But like, but when it is a real game, it's it's now, it's now a fun thing of like, oh, that's a real game. What game is it? And yeah. and, try, and trying to like exactly, look it up. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, the the bit the fun thing for me, like as a filmmaker, is watching those those spheres combine like it's now a venn diagram where like you know about fallout from conversations that i've had with you about video games and blah 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 but there's a tv show coming and you're gonna yeah, get to the, enjoy the that Amazon fallout tv show i'm, so I'm like, really keen to see what that's gonna be yeah, like so like you might not have to play the game to enjoy the concept see, that's I like what that. i like because a lot of because i'm such a huge book reader right and sci-fi is my favorite but i do read a lot of fantasy as well yeah um and i'll read you know, lots of things. But I often say to CJ, I'll read something new and I'll say, that needs to be a TV series. Yeah. Like, that, that is, that is, I can see it. And the recent one was um, Silo. Yeah. So, oh, I, I, I've heard of that one. Yeah. I've heard it's good. It's, they really did good. a great job with it. Like, I, it's a series, a trilogy, and I read the three books and went, it's a dystopian kind of future thing. And, and I went... This is kind of classic dystopian, mm. what happened, what went wrong, how are we surviving? But they, it's a little bit different. And so I was curious to see, like as you said, if you hadn't read the book, mm. right, so you go into it and you watch the TV series, you hadn't read the book. No. And people were watching it going, this is really good. This is good sci-fi done well. And it's amazing how many times, haven't we, we've had a conversation and I've said, this needs to be a movie or this needs to be a TV show. And then CJ will send me a text or call me at some point and say, yep, it's coming it's out. Happening. Yeah. And so this fallout is a great example of yeah. um, this is a thing that everybody says is great. I haven't played the game, but I can still get enjoyment yeah. because they bring it out in a different media. If it's good, that's the killer, right? That's the thing. There, can be, there can be so many different entries into something that, that does like this doesn't do it well, execute poorly, or like not understand that like it's a yeah, risk. Yeah. Looking at looking at you, Halo. Oh, oh my god, yeah. That, I, I, I was see, I was going to mention I was going to mention uh, Darren Shan, Cirque de Freak, because that movie oh, adaptation yeah. from the the books are great. I read yeah. them like as a kid. That movie was awful. <laughs> <laughs> again, the Halo series again. I, I, oh, we ripped it to shreds on this podcast. It was unpleasant. No, and I I believe that because I 
Okay, I never played Halo personally. But you CJ, definitely saw me playing well, it, though. I was going to say yeah. that. Of course, I would, you know, many times. And I got hooked in. Yeah. I wasn't physically playing it myself. But all the yells of excitement drew me into the room. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's happening now? What's happening? And, and so... Like, and, like, Halo has had a, a, an extensive history on, like, trying to get, like, a movie made or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, like, so when time. we finally got the TV show... Everyone was excited. And then when it was such a massive disappointment... Yeah. Well, I was trying to reconcile watching the the TV show. I'm... And I'm saying this, <laughs> is, I don't remember it being like this. It's because it wasn't. It wasn't. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. what he said. He's, and I was like, it just seems, I don't know, I think I know what they're trying to do here. Yeah. But, oh. It's interesting to me because that has a whole slew of books. There's like a dozen books from the I've never so, read There's so them, much source material. Yeah. And they actively bragged about not paying attention to any it's of it. It's bizarre. Like, I don't understand why you would do that. See, I, I resent that. Yeah. Like, it's like, I'll come back to Foundation again, right? So I'd read all Asimov's books 100 years ago. And so I went back and read them again after watching the first series of Foundation. And it's like, these are classic. These are beautiful. Yeah. You don't want to mess with them. And so I was a bit sort of unsure what they do. But where they've changed things, where they've made differences, the way they've done it is beautifully done and the characters, the actors are just fabulous and it's so well written that I'm comfortable as an Asimov fan going, this is pretty damn good, you know. Yeah. And I hate it when I've read a book and it's so fantastic and then they do a a movie or a TV series, and I'm like, I don't get this. Yeah, it's not even close. Foundation actually has an interesting one. This I won't I won't spoil much, but it's it's interesting because you kind of can't spoil much by the nature of the thing. So the books, the span of the concept of the books takes place over like many thousands of years, right? If you're going to adapt it straight up, you have an immediate problem in that TV shows don't work that way, right? So Lee Pace playing Empire, right? He's like one character, Bingo Bango. In the books, there's a whole convoluted reason why the same person might be Empire, blah, blah, blah. If you're doing a TV show, you don't want to be like every episode is an entirely new cast. Every single episode. That'd be, I mean, that's just not feasible. It's not feasible, yeah. right? And I say this not in that like you could probably do it story-wise. I'm sure audiences would be I mean, if you it. animated it. And animated it, yeah. totally. But if I'm producing that show... Who the fuck is paying for that? I'm not going to be able to have multiple stars. I'm not going to have any long-term engagement. I can't sell the show off of who's in it. Like, it's chaos, right? So you end up going, either it has to be anthology and it's not really that connected, but it has an overarching connection. You could maybe pull that off. But Apple just went, like, who? I can't remember who actually put this together. There's a whole team of showrunners for this. But, like, the genius that they went through was like, okay, let's unpick why this is so good in the book and then figure out how to make that function on screen. And it's super convoluted in, like, literally the story is like, it's there's this same guy and he's a clone and he's got a younger brother and an older brother and it's actually him, young and old, and blah, 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 blah. But it means we get to have Lee Pace in both seasons, even though they take place multiple hundreds of years apart. Brilliant. That may, like, that's, that's a great solve to that problem, right? right? because you're like, and it, it fits within it, Asimov's it world theory. It yeah. fits within the thematics that yeah. he explores in the books. They're not taking anything away. If anything, they're adding something yeah. that Asimov would probably have approved of. And that, I think, is why it's such a good show. Okay, I'm gonna, I mean, now I have to check that one out as well. You've got to do it. It's, every, it's, every time yeah. I do one of these podcasts, I, I come know. away with like a full list of like, things to check stuff. out. Well, let's do that. 
give me, mum, give us your your top five, maybe your top five books that we may not have read, and like I might have, but like for the audience, top okay. five sci-fi books to read, especially if you're into the idea of Starfield. Um, I'm not going to remember. What's our favourite series? You're talking the Night's Dawn trilogy? Yeah. Yeah, babe. I knew you were going to suggest it. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. One of these days, Peter F. Hamilton, you're never going to hear this, but yeah. if you do, Peter I love F. you. Peter F. Hamilton. I, I asked once many, many, many years ago about the rights to this book. Yeah. And they basically sent back and was like, listen, we're not even going to entertain this concept unless you send us full scripts for the entire first season. Holy shit. Because they're just like, we know, we know that this is solid gold licensed to print money. We know it's incredible. We're never going to entertain licensing this to anybody without having seen what they're going to do with it, right? You know what? To be honest, like if if that's what they have, full credit to yeah. them. Like yeah. that's, like, that's big ask, but you know what? Totally valid, right? Yeah. So the Night's Dawn trilogy, it's the first one is called the Reality Dysfunction, yeah, and it's by Peter F. Hamilton. There's three of them. He has another series as well called the Commonwealth Saga, which is equally which are also impressive. Also very good, yeah. But the Night's Dawn trilogy fucking rocked me yeah. when I was young I don't know how old I would have been but I read these I think because you said read yeah. them they're great I, I was blown away and I've read it many times oh man yeah it's one of the few series that I will go back and read multiple times yeah. Be- stunning because it's that concept of they're going out and they're colonising and so you know Brave New World and all that and, yep. and but it's it's actually what they I'm sure you guys know the term space opera right? yeah. yeah so there's layers going on all the time and there's uh, you know, one of the main characters in it is a space habitat. I'm doing air quotes, um, and it and it's kind of a live thing, but people live in it, and and there's all these layers of things, and then it's just it's one of those stories that just as you think you know what's going on, you don't. You don't have a clue. You have no idea. Fuck yeah. yes, it's I really love it. Good. It's, and, and it, I mean, immediately that's me hooked. Yeah. Right, yeah. and the jumps they do it so well. They jump from, you know, there's maybe three or four storylines running all together, but they all connect up. Yeah. And so they'll jump just as they've got you and you want to know more about that, they jump you to another one. But you're equally hooked and so it's it's extremely well written. Extremely. And it would make the most amazing TV but show. But it would have to be like Foundation. It would require it incredible would require, budgets, yeah. big names. You yeah. would need like someone like Apple yeah. to be backing it. But yeah. oh my god, it'd be good. One of these days, Peter F. Hamilton slash your your publisher, I'm gonna fucking send you something and you're gonna wanna sell me this. It's so good. Anyway, that one. Okay, so another one. Um Old Man for War. Ooh. Because yeah, all right. Because it's a classic sci-fi series about um, soldiers and war, and we're going to go out there, and the military is everything, and we're going to conquer the aliens. Yeah, yeah. That's what we do. That's what humans classic, do. Classic, yeah. classic colonization. So, so from a, a, a point of view of that whole warrior army mm, mm. colonization, but there's tricky bits in that yeah. too. So there's enough there. Um, you know, old old men for war because they inhabit young bodies. Oh, right. Wait, so is it called Old Men for War? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I can't remember his surname. Stelsky. It's not. Um, he wrote Red Shirt. Yeah. Oh, I wrote that one down too. No, I can't remember his last name. It's a Stannis yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll find it. We'll put it in the comments. Any any other like immediately obvious ones? Okay, so. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the favorites recently. Except I'm I'm yeah. I'm caught up in trying to remember the name of the books. Yeah. 
But um, I said this to CJ. Yeah, yeah. I'm shit at remembering. <laughs> it's always when it's always when you're asked yeah. to list them where, yeah. where you you have a blank on them. Uh, anything by Greg Bear that stands out? Um, he did some good ones. You know, you know who I do like. Yeah. Um, Baxter. Stephen Baxter. Yeah. Yeah. So Baxter and Bear have actually done a, a duo a couple they of times, have. and they they're have. fucking mint. Anything so good. Anything by either of them. Like he did. Um, uh, Baxter did mm-hmm. this really it's just a, two books right okay so the first one doesn't sound very sci-fi it's called Flood <gasps> yeah Flood. right put that on the list immediately it's, yeah. it's a it's it's a classic it's um, climate change oh okay Flood yeah yeah, yeah. we're all gonna die um, we've, it, got, we've got to leave Earth we've got we to leave stay. Earth right yep um, and, and, and it takes it to the ultimate extreme like and it tracks these characters all the way through so the second book um, tracks what's uh, they call the Ark, which is a spaceship. Yeah, classic. it's a generational ship. Yeah, and it covers <laughs> off. And things do not go well. It goes <laughs> terribly wrong. Everything you could imagine could go wrong. Trying to lift off and trying to do the journey. Oh my god! And what they're trying to find at the other end, and they think they've found a place and maybe they haven't and it's it's brilliantly it's really done. Good. I mean, I, I tell you what, like, because, like, I, to be honest, I've been lacking in terms of, like, the amount of reading that I, that I do and, like, I've been wanting to dive more into reading yeah. books. I feel like this sci-fi deep dive is going to be, like, hopefully what yeah. what really, like, gets me stuck into it again. Oh, I'll give you one. Okay. Um, speaking of Halo, so Greg Bear, amazing author. I might have this backwards. It might have been Baxter, but I'm pretty sure this one was Greg Bear. He did three books that are prequels to the entire Halo story. Oh, yeah. So he, he did a, couple, a few of the Halo novels. Yeah. And yeah. by this I mean, right, there's a whole bunch of Halo novels that take place in the timeline of the main game series yep. and are about the characters and all this sort of stuff. Greg Bear's books, the three of them, are about the forerunners, the ancient alien species who built the Halo ring. And it's about how the rings got built and why and what happened. And it's fucking amazing because he he does space opera. So they were like, it's not an action adventure novel like the Halo novels are because that's what the game is. They were like, what would happen if we gave this quite well thought out action sci-fi series and we gave it to somebody who specializes in space opera? And he was like, oh, have I got a treat for you? Oh my so God. it's like it spans like several thousand years and there's these characters. Good. That, like, yeah, it's wild. It's like it really, it, it gives so much lore and background and it's, I'm not going to say it's essential reading, but if you're into sci-fi, it is some of the best sci-fi I've read. It's cool. really good. And I think, I think for a classic, like you want to go right back. Yeah. Um, you can't go past Robert Heinlein. Robert Heinlein. That's so some good stuff. Robert Heinlein did some amazing things. And so I'm pretty sure it was the early 60s that started it. Don't quote me on that, but... <laughs> Um, Don't worry, no one's gonna, we have you quoted in a recording. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anybody adds you in the comments, just be like, no, go away. She didn't know, she didn't know. Yeah. Um, Stranger in a Strange Land is... Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's the classic Heinlein. And and again, you think you think you know what you're reading, you know, about this kid brought mm. up on Mars. And it seems like a really simple concept. And, and it, it just gets more and more out there. And you kind of get to the end... And it's really it covers off stuff like cults and um, the future, and like it just brings a oh, whole lot a, of stuff into play. That sounds awesome. It is awesome, and and in fact, I revisited that not long ago, and I haven't read it for years, and I was like totally into it straight away. Um, Ray Bradbury is another oh, classic, yeah. right? So he, um, so he again 
from early sci-fi. He did a whole bunch of different types of things, um, some dystopian stuff, some Mars colony stuff. Uh, very classic. Very. He, classic. He's up there with Asimov as like yeah, yeah, OG he, sci-fi shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's some of the originals that um, others grew on. Like when you read, um, like I was reading something. Uh, recently, and and he's got a Russian surname, and it is something like Tchaikovsky or mm. Tchaikovsky or something like that. And um, there's a trilogy, and and I could I could see that it grew out of some of these earlier. You classics. can see the influence, yeah. yeah. See, and and he does this mind bending, bizarre thing where they're traveling to these other planets, and they've lost contact with Earth, and but the creatures are like. Um, they're nothing that we've seen before, and yet in a way they are. Cool. I'm going to look that up because yeah, tell me afterwards anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the audience. So, 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 so that yeah. one was Ray, Ray Bradbury. Do we have a name for like the the book of that one? Um, Ray Bradbury's done like four or five, I think. Yeah, yeah he's done quite a few. It's okay. Just, just I would just, just look up him as an author. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're not all they're not all sci-fi. No. He does a lot of stuff, but yeah. certainly he's one of the most prolific sci-fi authors there is. Like, okay. like Asimov, he's up there. There's yeah. a lot of Fuck them. yeah, awesome. All right, well, and obviously, like, yeah, audience-wise, if you haven't read Asimov's Robots Empire series, fucking do it because it's a rockin' series. Yeah, and well, the classic um, Robin Williams movie. Oh, Bicentennial Man. Bicentennial Ooh, Man. Yeah. yeah, that's that's an Asimov book. It was originally just a short story, actually. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I love Robin Williams. Yeah. So you know, I but, mean, who doesn't? Right. But Bicentennial Man is a robot wanting to be a human. Yeah, it's really And cool. his journey over, well, obviously because he's a robot, over a very long time, and his relationship with the family that he's part of. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. And the short story, when you read it, it's, it's they've taken that really well. Like it's just, as often happens with just a short story, yeah. their embroidering it has actually enhanced it. Yeah. Oh, fuck yes. So it's it. just a great experience. This kind of tells me too, like, because we didn't have Starfield paired with a particular movie or TV show, this really shows, like, it's kind of impossible to give it one specific pairing. It's a bit of everything, yeah. Because it is so much of all of it. It kind of shows that, like, it's kind of, like to find one specific thing to pair with Starfield, I think if we were, if we were going to do that, we'd be narrowing on, like, a specific, like, small part of the game. Yeah. But talking about the game as a whole, it reaches so far from so many different things. I mean, we're talking about, like, classic sci-fi literature now, yeah, too. Yeah, like, it, it, Like, honestly, it's, it's just awesome to see how it all feeds. I mean, that kind of, like, similar to what we talked about with... Um, Night of the Living Dead to uh, yeah. Back of Blood with like how like zombie pop culture kind of like evolved over the years. Seeing, yeah. seeing how you can see the the seeds of everything the, and how the, they've grown. Yeah, yeah. The, the trajectory for for sci-fi in general, and then like the yeah. idea for what Starfield is and what it is, and how it, how it all uh, again just feeds back on all of it. It's so satisfying to see to see it all connect like that. I yeah, think. I can't wait to see what we end up with twenty five years from now. Oh yeah. What what will a Starfield like style of video game where it's about space exploration, but it's also about everything else? You know, given more time, more exploration, more thinking, more creativity, and then you build something that leverages all of that and references all of that. Like, yeah, fucking amazing. But yeah, no, this is, this has been great. This has been all about Starfield. Thanks, Danny, for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, mom. <laughs> and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.